Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. I'm Shinriko, a Japanese doomsday cult led by a psychotic madman, Shoko Asahara, a man who's been nicknamed the Japanese Charles Manson. But a much more dangerous cult leader than Manson ever was, actually. He pulled tens of thousands into his dark insanity, not just a handful. He had thousands of followers willing to help him violently bring about the end times. This doomsday cult's name means supreme truth, but Asahara preached nothing but lies. Am started in the 1980s as a small spiritual group based on tenets of Buddhism. And then he soon incorporated elements of Hinduism, Nostradamus doomsday prophecies, Christian apocalyptic prophecies, and more, all woven into a message focused largely on bringing about Armageddon. Asahara claimed to be both Christ and the first enlightened one since Buddha to walk the earth. He claimed his purpose was to help rid the earth of its most wicked people, so Shiva could then bring forth a utopian society, the fabled Tibetan kingdom of Shambhala, or something like that. Like a lot of cult leaders, his overall message and theological focus is uh, hard to explain because it kept changing and it never made a lot of sense. Despite a crazy syncretic message that meshed together teachings from multiple religions with his own made-up gibberish, Asahara gained a global following, spoke at universities, and wrote numerous books. At the peak of the cult's power, Am had close to 50,000 members worldwide. For the last five or six years of his cult leadership, Asahara predicted and preached about how the U.S. would start World War III with Japan, bringing about the end of civilization. The only survivors would be Am members. And unlike most cults, he didn't want to wait around for the end. Asahara encouraged his followers to start the war themselves, speeding up their own salvation. He ordered his followers to launch biological and chemical warfare on various targets in major cities in Japan, and they did. Their most devastating attack occurred on March 20th, 1995, when they planted sarin gas in the Tokyo subways, killing 13 and injuring thousands. The Tokyo act, excuse me, the Tokyo attack was not Am's only act of violence. They were responsible for many more attempted and successful attacks, murders, and for so much illegal weapons production. Asahara was very much a, if you're not with us, you're against us kind of guy, and he ordered anyone who opposed him to be destroyed, and many were. Today, we suck the crazy-ass life of Shoko Asahara, a partially blind man who rose from poor and humble beginnings to found and lead one of the most powerful doomsday cults of all time. It's another cult, 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 apocalyptic edition of Time Suck. 
This is Michael McDonald, and you're listening to Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday once again, Meat Sacks. I'm Dan Cummins, Suck Nasty, the Master Sucker, Mother Goose, Ghost Rider, Cold Consultant, and you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, Hail Lucifina, Praiseable Jangles, and Triple M. Keep us from falling for the lies of a cult leader like Shoko Asahara. Hoping I had fun in Cincinnati this last weekend. Guessing I did. Uh, recording this just before I fly out for those shows. Uh, I'll be just outside Seattle this weekend, but that show has been sold out for a while. Uh, tickets are still available to some shows in Denver and Loveland, Colorado, coming up later this month, and Tampa and Tacoma next month. And then that's it for 2021. Uh, just waiting for a few more ticket links to come online uh, before announcing all the spring 2022 dates. But I'll be going to uh, lots of extra cities on the East and West Coast. Uh, in the store at badmagicmerch.com, the 2021 Bad Magic Challenge coin is now here. This year, we did it a little differently. Due to a high demand for bad magician gear, we thought this would be the perfect fit. Available now in the Bad Magic store is a two-inch antique nickel double-sided challenge coin featuring all three of your favorite Bad Magic cornerstones. Cornerstones, uh, Limited quantities available, so snatch yours up while you can. Uh, the Bad Magic Productions Charity of the Month Talk about that real quick. IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Uh, proud to be giving them $15,800 on behalf of space lizards and creeps and peepers over on Scared to Death. Uh, Annabelle's and Robert's actually the ones uh, uh, helping us over there. This organization here to serve and empower the post 9-11 veterans community, offering them guidance, support, and resources. Things like uh, assisting veterans with using their GI bills, helping with housing, mental health support, and so much more. And for more information, you can go to IAVA.org. One more announcement, uh, free stuff. Who's like some free stuff? Uh, announcing the 2021 Bad Magic Gathering, virtual and free, Sunday, December 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific time, if you can log in. Uh, going real big in 2022 with an adult summer camp in August. Uh, we'll share more details later, but Lindsay in particular, I've uh, been working a lot recently on getting that planned out, meeting weekly with an event planner. Uh, for this, you're going to keep it easy and low key. Going to have a Christmas movie watch party and a studio tour. If you want to check out the studio, you know, a virtual tour. Uh, we'll watch a Christmas story. You'll shut your eye out, kid. Uh, you can watch that with me and some of the gang, and then we'll have a little Q&A. Uh, we test these watch parties with our Annabelles over on Scared to Death, and they are a lot of fun. You'll go to Scener.com, S-C-E-N-E-R, Scener.com slash a Christmas story. Then click follow, and then you'll enter your name, email address, age, click next, Enter, you know, a username, password if you're liking, and then go back to that follow button, click it again, make sure it says following. And then that way, when we go live with our 2021 virtual gathering, the, the watch party, you'll be notified and can easily link in. And again, this is Sunday night, December 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Log in. I'll give you a tour of the Bad Magic Production Studios. We'll watch a movie together. You can hop in the chat room, talk to your Bad Magic friends from Scared to Death as We Dumb and Time Suck. Then after the movie, a Q&A. And again, it's free just to thank you for being a fan of what we do here. Uh, you do have to be an Amazon Prime member to watch this particular movie and either buy it or rent it through Prime for $3.99. Uh, we make nothing off of this. It's just the way uh, Cena works. So somebody isn't just, uh, you know, uh, paying for a movie and then just showcasing it for a bunch of people and charging them or something. Uh, when it gets closer to the date, I'll put the link, Cena.com, a Christmas, or Cena.com slash a Christmas story in the episode description. So early happy holidays and hail Nimrod. And now let's get weird, Meat Sacks. Uh, this is a cult unlike any other we have covered here before. Uh, man, they became so much more powerful and dangerous than any cult we've looked at so far, committing more murders, overall acts of violence against non-cult members, 
Truly a terrifying organization at the height of their powers. Am Shinriko was an especially dangerous doomsday cult slash militarized terrorist group that formed in the 80s, has thankfully been a shadow of its former self since the mid-late 90s. The rise of this strange religious movement made possible by, uh, of all things, Japan's capitalistic prosperity. A generation of questioners disillusioned with the corporate and consumerism-driven life of their parents found what they thought were divine answers, but really were nothing more than insanity and one power-hungry man's insatiable appetite for world domination and destruction. Shortly after it formed, Am Shinrikyo was initially classified as just another of the world's new religious movements. This is the label commonly given to cults, and I guess uh, all cults do fall under this big umbrella uh, NRM classification, as do many other spiritual movements not deemed to be cults. The classification uh, for what a cult is, uh, as opposed to a new religion, as we've covered multiple times before, is a little bit subjective. To remind everyone what the main tenets of a cult are real quick and how they differ from a religion, let me go over a list of, oh shit, you're in a cult, wake up and run for your fucking life, red flags. Finding the perfect definition is tough. Uh, Some so-called religions do have cultish tendencies or were once ran as cults and then softened, went a little more mainstream, now technically a religion. Uh, The line between religion and cult, you know, often a moving target. Here's a list I like the most uh, today of 10 cult traits slash red flag warning signs that you are probably in a cult. Uh, One, uh, absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. Two, no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. Three, no meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget expenses, such as independently audited financial statements. Four, unreasonable fear about the outside world such as impending catastrophe, evil conspiracies. Oh, that's a fucking big one today. And persecutions. Uh, Five, there is no legitimate reason to leave. Former followers are always wrong in leaving, negative or even evil for leaving. Six, former members often relate the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. Seven, there are records, books, news articles, or television programs that document the abuses of the group or leader. Uh, Followers, eight, followers feel they can never be good enough. Nine, the group, you know, slash leader is always right. And 10, the group slash leader is the exclusive means of knowing truth or receiving validation. No other process of discovery is acceptable or credible. Well, the supreme truth led by Shoko Asahara uh, checked all 10 of these boxes, checked them with multiple exclamation points behind each check, underlined, highlighted. Uh, Am Shinrika was a blatant, no doubt about it. Uh, If he is not, you know, if this is not a cult, uh, nothing is kind of cult. Whatever Shoko said was right, was right. Regardless of what laws or moral codes, his advice or, or orders broke uh, to question and criticize him could lead directly to death and towards the end did for some members. Uh, Shoko sure as shit did not divulge any financial information to his followers. His financial dealings with his followers, pretty straightforward and abusive. You give him everything. If you want into the inner circle, then he owes you only the promise of salvation uh, if you keep doing what he says. He for sure pushed fear of the outside world hard and absolutely forbid you from leaving the cult. He was researched by many different people who suspected him of abuse, including members of the Japanese media. Uh, You know, he had some who looked into into him, actually killed, had others, you know, uh, tried to assassinate them. His followers were straight up told that they could never be as good as he was, just in slightly more appealing words, uh, words. And he made it clear he was the only guy with all the answers. You could not know more than him. He knew the most. He made it clear that that was impossible to know more than him. He was Jesus, Buddha, uh, you know, and more just all rolled into one supremely confident and ruthless dude. 
He was Charles Manson, if Manson was Japanese, and a lot better at both business and parceling out his crazy. Uh, Pivoting back to new religious movements, Um, again, was one of them. And also, again, not all new religious movements are cults. Uh, And NRM is a term for all the new religions that have come about across the world. Uh, You know, like in the recent uh, last few centuries, these are most often offshoots of the big five ancient religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Um, would borrow theology from several of these religions. He'd incorporate tenets of Indian Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, uh, weaving principles taught in, you know, uh, yoga, which derives from Hinduism, uh, Nostradamus predictions and more. He threw in uh, published science fiction plot lines, even all kinds of wild shit into his messages. If there was an idea floating out there that he felt he could steal and use to manipulate his followers and doing, you know, this or that, he would take it. Didn't seem to care where it came from. All NRMs have shared traits. They're new Innovative religions that tend to start as a reaction to something going on in the modern world that at least a small segment of society does not care for. Maybe the times they are a changing in a way that some people don't like, which is, you know, how things always are for some people. Or maybe the times they're not a changing and moving away from ways that some people, uh, you know, don't like, which also occurs constantly. And some shyster like Shoko Asahara is like, hey, oh, over here. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the way that you don't like. Come over here with me. We're, we're going to live the way you want to. We have the, the better way that you like. We have a better way to live that's going to fill that empty hole you feel inside of your, yourself with so much meaning and purpose. NRMs represent countercultural alternatives to mainstream society and existing religious movements since they've formed to continue to form in an age when they are already, uh, or, or when there are already, excuse me, a lot of existing religions and schools of spiritual thought, they tend to be eclectic, uh, pluralistic, syn- uh, synchronistic, pulling a little bit of this, a little bit of that from various ideologies. NRM leaders like Shoko Asahara typically combine doctrines from, yeah, different ancient religions. NRMs are often, almost always founded by a charismatic and authoritarian leader like Shoko Asahara. Uh, he would be more charismatic and authoritarian than most, but, uh, but almost all the, all the leaders have some degree of, you know, charisma and authoritarianism. I mean, you got to have a strong leader, likable leader. At least some people, if you want to get a new religion off the ground, hard to pull in dedicated followers. If you have no charisma and no authoritarianism, most people looking for enlightenment, eh, they don't want to deal with maybes. They don't want, eh, I don't know, shoulder shrugs. And I I think so. You can't be like, hey, everyone, thanks for coming to today's service. I'm Bobby Jenkins, uh, pastor and founder of the church. Boy, I sure, I sure hope so. Is there a divine being who created us and cares for us and will reward our pain here on earth with eternal pleasure in the afterlife? <laughs> Boy, I sure hope so. Has an omnipotent celestial being chosen me as its prophet to share its eternal truth with you? <laughs> Boy, I sure hope so. I mean, I'm definitely hearing a voice in my head. If it's not God, <laughs> we're all in a heap of trouble. Uh, do I think I can fearlessly lead you into the promised land? <laughs> Boy, I sure hope so. I, I definitely have my doubts, though. Uh, no. A uh, tough way to convince a group of strangers to dedicate their fucking life to your teachings. Now you gotta, you gotta speak with charismatic certainty. You know, which means uh, in the spiritual realm, you gotta lie. You gotta act like you know more than you know. You gotta give people uh, some of that, uh, I found the truth and I cannot wait to share it with you. Oh, you have come to the right place. God loves you and God has chosen me to give you the answers that you seek. Oh, you're showing up here today was no accident. Oh, no boy. God has sent you to me for your salvation. No fucking doubt about it. Fuck yeah, bro. You got to have, you know, you got to have some some, uh, power in there. Followers of NRMs tend to believe their charismatic leader slash founder has special powers or insights, you know, because that's fun to believe. You know, it's fun to think that your leader is some kind of Avenger or some shit. I mean, who doesn't like a powerful seeming leader? Think about all the dictators in world history. 
right? They projected strength, you know, fucking pounded their fists, spoke with authority. So they, they must know what they're talking about. They're yelling it. <laughs> Such a base caveman instinct to crave that, you know, primal strength, powerful voice, solid posture, the appearance of good health. Not too many sickly, soft-spoken people have become dictators or cult leaders, right? Like I literally can't think of one like fucking anemic, just spindly little little guy, little tiny guy with like a, hey guys, let's, let's go get him. Come on. <coughs> Come on, let's go. Follow me. <laughs> like, like they're, right? It's like they're primal to crave that strength. So they have that use. Uh, NRMs are often highly organized. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's competitive. It's a competitive religious market out there now, much more than it used to be. Harder than ever to be a market disruptor in the world of religion. And their leaders often demand a large amount of loyalty from their followers. Got to stay away from the other brands. On the second half of the 20th century, many merging NRMs shot up and thrived around the globe in a direct response to a surge in capitalism and the pressures of materialism that can accompany such a surge. That struck me as strange when I first read it. I was like, is that, is that right? But then it made total sense the more I thought about it. Uh, think about all the compound-loving counterculture, counterculture cults. That was an unintentional tongue twister there uh, that we've sucked here before. Uh, the People's Temple with Jim Jones, uh, the Branch Davidians with David Koresh, the Source family with Father Yod, Manson family, so many others. Uh, followers were not in those cults for the money. Uh, they weren't in it for the fancy cars and lakefront homes. Their leaders often were, but not the followers. The followers were in it for spiritual riches, often at odds, at least in their minds, with uh, material wealth around them. They didn't, they didn't want their parents' nine to fives and houses in the suburbs. They wanted something new, something, uh, uh, you know, a more uh, socialist, a lot of the followers of those cults intentionally walked away from what they felt were the trappings of the nine to five rat race. You know, you get married, you get a quote unquote real job. You know, you get the house with the white picket fence, two cars and a boat. You have two kids. They don't want to be a slave to a 30 year mortgage. They wanted to live free, man. Come on, man. I'm living free. No more enslavement to consumerism. You know, and then eventually they had to fucking pay the bills and suck for them. Uh, in the 1980s, a lot of people in Japan were loving the trappings of the corporate world and getting materialistically wealthy. Japan's economy had become one of the biggest on earth. It had grown at a preposterous and unprecedented rate since the end of World War II. World War II had left Japan devastated. They'd lost the war, been firebombed, had atomic bombs, devastated two of their major cities. Between 2.6 million and 3.1 million people died. But because, in part, they are, they are an extremely proud culture, they did not let that break them. They pushed on, they reinvented their country. Following the war, their economic recovery was so rapid and sustained, it was called the Japanese Miracle. Their economy expanded rapidly from 1946 all the way until 1992 when it finally cooled off for a bit. More jobs, better jobs, more goods, better goods. And with a lot of economic prosperity came a lot of consumerism. You know, wealth became more important to many than spirituality, working long hours at the office. That was a badge of honor. You were making Japan strong. And you were. Japanese national pride, uh, you know, had been based largely on military might in the first half of the 20th century. And when World War II defeat dealt the nation a huge morale blow, like really a hard punch in the gut, cultural focus shifted to industrialization. Before the war, Japan had expanded rapidly from 1895 till 1942 with, you know, conquest, with various colonial acquisitions taken in numerous military conquests. The empire of Japan, one of the largest empires in history, it included colonies in Manchuria, China, Indonesia, the Philippines, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, Indochina, Burma, many Pacific islands. And then they lost it all. They only retained their original pre-1895 national boundaries following the war. I mean, World War II, they fucking lost their asses. You know, then came massive disarmament sanctions. From 1945 to 1952, the whole nation was basically on probation. 
Roughly a million Allied soldiers led by the U.S. would essentially babysit Japan. I'm sure they loved that, right? Made sure they didn't rebuild their military or try anything funny. They were supervised. In 1947, they were pressured into drafting a constitution that included a clause, Article 9, where Japan formally renounces its sovereign right of belligerency and aims at an international peace based on justice and order. This article also states that to accomplish this uh, aim, armed forces with war potential not allowed to be maintained. Japan now only allowed to maintain a defensive security force, right? This has been slightly amended in recent years uh, when the Constitution was amended in 2014, but still, they don't have a big military. Uh, Back in the 1980s, without a chance in hell at making another go as a military powerhouse, the nation decided to throw its collective energy into becoming an industrial titan. And holy shit, did they do a fucking amazing job, like an unprecedented job. By the 80s, Japan was exporting a shit ton of tech all around the world, incredibly popular vehicles like Toyotas and Hondas, semiconductors, so many different consumer electronics, like, uh, you know, so many different video recorders, Nintendos, uh, Sony Walkman. The Walkman was a huge deal. That was my most prized possession in sixth grade. Holy shit, I was proud to have a Walkman. Uh, maybe tied with my Nintendo, you know? Uh, the Discman that followed, another prize Japanese possession, Toshiba, uh, Toshiba, Panasonic, uh, Fujitsu, and more. So much awesome tech was flying out of Japan. Just like now, how it can feel like everything is uh, made in, J- in China. Back in the 80s, to me, it felt like everything, everything cool at least, was made in Japan. Uh, by the 1980s, Japan utterly devastated less than 40 years earlier, now ranked as the world's second largest economic power after the U.S. I mean, that, that's a crazy trajectory to go from being utterly gutted to second, you know, largest economic power in the world in just, you know, a few decades. So where the hell am I going with all this? Fucking nowhere. I just wanted you to know that Japan's economy was fucking lit and I liked having a Nintendo and a, and a Walkman. Uh, no, because of the sustained period of economic development, many young Japanese men and women whose parents and grandparents had worked long hours and built out comfortable lives for themselves, well, they got a little soft. They got a little spoiled as people do when things have been too easy for a while. It'd been a long time since their families had struggled. And now they took having a nice place to live, a nice car, uh, food on the table. They just took it for granted. Forgot about how hard you had to work for it. And they started to question the older generation's emphasis on materialism. Ironically, they had time to question it because their lives were pretty fucking cushy thanks to their parents' and grandparents' emphasis on hard work and consumerism. You know, they now had the luxury of being able to do a lot of soul searching. They started thinking a lot uh, more than their parents or grandparents had about, you know, what's the true meaning of life? Why am I doing this? And because their parents' generation was not very religious or spiritually focused, uh, they didn't know a lot about spirituality and religion. And they ended up becoming a prime target for cults. And this all makes me think about an old college roommate I had, lived with him in Gonzaga's good old Catherine Monica dorm, old CM, my freshman year of college. Sugi, can't remember Sugi's last name. Sugi was older, uh, somewhere around 24, 25 when I was 18. He was a uh, ESL, English as a secondary language student. Uh, transferred in. He, he quickly became our go-to alcohol purchaser. Thank you, Sugi. Uh, and he had a friend about the same age, Tetsuya. And I hung around with those two dudes a fair amount my freshman year, along with some of their other Japanese friends. They were they were cool as shit. Uh, you know, they both transferred over to Gonzaga directly from Japan. They both snowboarded and skateboarded, which was impressive to a little small town fucking dirtbag like me. They both always had weed and listened to cool music. They were always taking trips, check out bands, you know, do fun stuff. I was like, oh man, I want to fucking be these guys. Neither one of them had to work. You know, they lived pretty cushy lives. They always had money. They both told me they had hardworking parents or at least corporate-minded fathers. Uh, to be honest, they didn't, they didn't really talk about their moms, but they said they had, you know, hard-ass dads. And I remember both of them uh, alluding to their dads being not very happy with them because I shared a dorm room, a little tiny dorm room with Sugi. 
or a fucking bunk bed roommates. Uh, when he spoke with his dad on the phone, I was sometimes, you know, in the room and that conversation, it seemed pretty tense. I don't understand a word of Japanese. With the tone, not jovial. Uh, talking to Sugi and Tetsuya, they both explained how they were really going to enjoy, you know, their time at Gonzaga in the next few years because after that, the fun was fucking over. They were totally serious. They were going to have fun. <laughs> their dad, I guess, let them have fun for a few more years. Then they had to return to Japan, jump into the corporate world, work a ton of hours, etc. There was a heavy expectation of get your shit together and, you know, join the corporate workforce. They would do, and they would do what their fathers expected them. I remember Tetsuya, not surprisingly, you know, being a little bummed out about this. One night after doing some knife hits of some cheap weed in his apartment, uh, you know, I remember telling him, uh, you know, you don't have to do some, some job you don't want to do. And he, I just remember him kind of like, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, uh, this is a cultural difference. Like, just kind of laughing it off. He's like, yeah, I do. You know, uh, he, he, he knew or he felt that he had to do that uh, unless he wanted his family to be deeply ashamed of him for the rest of their lives. It would be a huge insult to his father's honor to not do what his dad told him, even though he's a, you know, fucking grown-ass man. And I just remember thinking about how much pressure he must have felt. My dad never expected me to follow him into construction. Actually, didn't want me to. Wanted me to do something else because he felt like it busted up your body. To feel like you have to climb the corporate ladder, work long hours for years, or you're literally an embarrassment to your family and have broken your dad's heart. That's a lot of fucking pressure. That's a lot to put on, on your shoulders. And most of a generation in Japan felt this pressure. Most of a few generations felt it, actually. And then the generation in the 80s decided to do a little more about it. You know, most caved like Tetsuya, but some, they rebelled. They eventually pushed back and they decided, you know, the nine to five or the damn near all day at the office life, not for them. And these were the people who Om targeted, the people disillusioned with the corporate world, you know, and that's generally who cults target, but this is a little different slant on it. They look for the disillusioned. Usually they look for people who are disillusioned with uh, not being able to get a good job, not being able to get certain things in life. And, you know, the poor and the downtrodden, these were people who were doing well but disillusioned with, uh, you know, kind of the hamster wheel, uh, in their minds at least, of the corporate world. And uh, yeah, because Om recruited unusually disillusioned people who were often highly educated. People with degrees in medicine, biochemistry, architecture, biology, genetic engineering. Most of their initial core members, the people who built out, uh, you know, the well-structured cult leadership hierarchy would have later on, educated people in their 20s and 30s who wanted to remove themselves from traditional Japanese society. One parent of a cult member said these recruits were often book smart, but not worldly. They knew a lot about their field of expertise, but due to how many hours they'd been studying year after year, you know, nosing the books throughout their childhoods, due to how many hours they started working at their jobs, they weren't worldly. They weren't street smart. They didn't know much else other than their area of expertise. I'm guessing you probably know someone like that, right? The world's full of those people. Uh, they didn't have good bullshit detectors to help them avoid falling for the lies like uh, someone like uh, Sahara would sell to them. Uh, all members were people who were desperate for spiritual answers, of course. That's how you get into a cult. Uh, to know the true meaning of life. And the charismatic Asahara promised them real happiness, <laughs> real, what did I say? Real happiness and salvation. Yeah, you gotta, and, and of course he promised it to him. Again, you can't be like, oh, boy, <laughs> I sure hope so. No, he was like, oh, fuck, fuck yeah. Yeah, do this, follow me. I know all the answers. Oh my God, are you kidding me? We're all gonna live forever. It's gonna be great. Uh, he built trust with them. He convinced them that he was uh, all-knowing, had mystical powers, and they bought it. They wanted to believe something like that could be true. And then most of them wouldn't hesitate when he eventually turned his followers into a formidable army. And they did become an army. Robert J. Lifton, author of a book on the cult we leaned on a bit titled Destroying the World to Save It, Am Shinrikyo, Apocalyptic Violence and the New Global Terrorism, writes, for the first time in history, end-time religious fanaticism allied itself with weapons capable of destroying the world, and a group embarked on the mad project of doing just that. 
Well said, Bobby J. That is what made Asahara and his Am Shinrikyo doomsday cult so dangerous. They were religious fanatics who didn't just pray for the world to end. They took action. And not weak delusional action. They actually figured out how to manufacture mass quantities of weapons of mass destruction, did that, and then used them on the public. In some kind of cult versus cult cage match, uh, Am Shinrikyo would fuck up any other cult we've covered this far. Like, easily. All right, now that you've been primed on who these psychos were and what cultural shift they emerged from, let's get into the dirty details of it all. Going to dive now into their timeline, beginning with Asahara's birth. We'll follow him until death. We'll cover his humble beginnings, early taste of power, an initial religious epiphany before continuing on uh, into how he founded Om, how Om soon shifted from a cult to a full-on terrorist organization. We'll cover uh, all the attempted and successful attacks Om launched on innocent citizens of Japan and how insanely powerful Asahara became. It's fucking, it's bonkers. Uh, before his inevitable fall from, from, uh, from grace into ruin. All that after today's sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thanks to Rocket Money, I canceled a membership to a gym I used to go to where I continued to pay a monthly membership for a couple of years after I stopped going. 
I didn't even recognize the charge. Rocket Money found it though, and it was canceled. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. That's rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. Rocketmoney.com slash timesuck. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Thanks for listening. And now we jump into the promised Am Shenrikyo timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a TIMESUCK timeline. On March 2nd, 1955, Shoko Asahara, future cult leader and mass murderer, born in the small city of Yatsushiru, uh, Kumamoto Prefecture. A prefecture there is similar to a state in the U.S. or a province in Canada, a political district directly under the national government with its own governor, other elected officials. Uh, today, uh, Yatsushiru has over 120,000 people. Back in 2005, it merged with two other cities and three villages. When Asahara was born there, while I can't find any 1955 population data, it's described in sources as a small village. Just a three-hour drive, less than 60 miles away by air from Nagasaki, where the fat man atomic bomb was dropped just 10 years before his birth in 1945. Uh, located on Kyushu, the southernmost and third largest of Japan's four main islands. Uh, Shoko Asahara born uh, Chizu uh, Matsumoto. He legally uh, would change his name later as an adult for cult-related purposes. You gotta have a cool name. If you want to run a cult, right? It, it definitely helps. Definitely helps. You know, maybe with the Heaven's Gate, maybe if Marshall Applewhite would have changed his name, you know, to like uh, Johnny Rocket. I don't know. Something more exciting. He would have had would have had more people to take the spaceship. Uh, harder to get people to follow you if your name is like the Japanese equivalent to, uh, you know, Dingle Drip Sweet Nips or some weird shit. You got to have something strong, something more reminiscent of like Samurai Viking Hammer. Something powerful. Shoko Asahara, it does have a nice strong feel to it. And that's coming from someone who doesn't uh, yeah, speak a word of Japanese. Uh, Asahara was the sixth of seven ja- uh, children and the fourth of five boys. He grew up in a very poor family. His father was a tatami weaver, tatami being a, a rush-covered straw mat 
forming a traditional Japanese floor covering. If you're not familiar with the term, you've, you've probably seen them. Uh, this was not a good paying job. One store stated that you barely made enough to cover your own bills as a mat weaver, not nearly enough to provide for, you know, a family of nine. Uh, sounds like Asahara's mother did not work outside the home, guessing she was a little busy raising kids. Asahara became partially blind as an infant, suffering from uh, infantile glaucoma, a rare condition that may be inherited caused by incorrect development of the eye's drainage system before birth. He lost 100% of sight in one eye and developed uh, severely impaired vision in the other. This condition seemed to definitely run in his family. Another older brother had it as well and became 100% blind in both eyes, as would a younger brother become 100% blind. Since he was partially able to see, he was allowed to attend the regular school most of his siblings uh, attended, but his parents sent him instead to a special school for blind children where his brothers would go, those two brothers. And I think uh, choosing to send him to this school for the blind ended up actually playing a huge part in his later decision to form and run a cult. I know that sounds crazy. And no one could have known how that would impact him at the time, but I I truly believe this to be true. Uh, At this school for the blind, where he will spend 14 years, all of his prime identity forming years, he will physically and socially completely fucking dominate in a way almost no kids do in school. He'll dominate an isolated population, somewhat removed from society, similar to a cult, a closed society. Cult researcher uh, Robert Lifton made a note of this, writing about how the blind school was a closed society and how when Asahara left school, he probably wanted to, at least on a subconscious level, build his own form of a closed society to replace the blind school of his youth, where he could continue to control and manipulate others, his psychological comfort zone. I'll explain how he dominated here. He starts school in 1961 at the age six, and uh, like his older brother and later his younger bro as well, he'll live at this school. It's a boarding school, the Momoto Prefectural School for the Blind. He'll uh, live most of the time, study here until his graduation in 1975. And the state-ran school provided free room and board for students, which is, you know, why his impoverished family sent him and his brothers there. Probably why, you know, since he was, even though he's not fully blind, they're like, well, if we we get him to go here, we won't have to pay to care for him. Uh, Teachers will later describe Asahara as charismatic and intelligent. And as he progressed through his grades, the teachers noticed how he could persuade the students to do whatever he wanted them to do. Nice way of saying he was very manipulative. And they also noted he could be very violent towards the other children. He was a huge bully. Asahara developed feelings of superiority towards his peers here because he was uh, a big kid. He was large, athletically built, bigger, stronger than the other kids. And most of the other kids, almost all of the other kids were 100% blind, completely blind. So he could fucking see better than them. Huge advantage on your playground opponents if you're bigger, stronger, and they're blind. This is ridiculous. What a nightmare for these poor other children. He would beat the shit out of them. A bully who can see going to a school for the blind and just fucking kicking the shit out of these kids. It feels like the plot of an old Adam Sandler movie or something. Asahar was doing some psychopath shit at this school. He liked to organize a game he called pro wrestling where he would force his classmates to hit each other. If they refused, you know, he'd beat the shit out of them. Uh, it's so messed up. Where, were his teachers also blind? Like, how has no one seen him stopping this? Uh, occasionally, he would threaten his teachers and they would call him the headmaster and then he'd back down and somehow convince them not to kick him out of school. Sounds like, the, yeah, this place was just a madhouse. Some of the teachers would later recall that he was kind to a few of the children and I guess he was always uh, caring towards his brothers, uh, both of whom would room at the school with him. But to most kids, he was like a nightmare. In addition to learning how to physically intimidate and abuse people, uh, Asahara also figured out how to take advantage of people financially here. This dickhead would charge the blind kids for small favors. Like if they wanted uh, him to help them buy something or go out to eat, you know, uh, for example, they, they would have to pay him. Like what an asshole. Just, yeah, I'll help you cross the street. Yeah, I'll help you. No problem. I'll help you go buy a sandwich. Uh, but it's five bucks for getting across the street and another five for me showing you where the sandwich shop is, bro. 
Or you know what? Just fucking risk it. Just walk out there and see what happens. Uh, when he wasn't beating up his poor classmates or taking their money, Asahara got excellent grades. Uh, and even, this is weird to me, uh, earned a black belt in judo. That's great. I'm sure the smaller, weaker blind kids love that. I just picture him practicing his judo moves on them frequently. And I mean, if you, if you want to get in a really good judo practice and you have no conscience, a playground full of blind kids, it is about the best training session you could have. You know, you just quietly position yourself somewhere in the middle of the playground and just wait for them to like walk towards you, just stay real quiet. And then you just fucking toss them around, just practice your moves, you know? I, I bet you he did that. Interestingly, in his final years of the school, Asahara ran for class president a few times, but always lost. He was not able to intimidate all those kids into voting for him. He couldn't prove who didn't vote for them. It was hard to, you know, figure out who to dish out ass beatings to afterwards. Uh, in addition to the kids he beat up, some of the kids may not have voted for him also because they looked down on him due to rumors that his family was Korean. Koreans were a heavily discriminated group in Japan at this time because Japanese culture, uh, super duper racist uh, back then. It's still actually uh, one of the more racist countries now, I think. Uh, prior to World War II, when they existed as an empire, you know, they were brutal towards other Asian nations. They subjugated. They enslaved people. Their soldiers raped thousands and thousands of local women. They displayed a lot of open contempt for anyone who is not Japanese. They were very big on national unity, on just being Japanese. Japan first, everyone else distant second. Even today, uh, Japan, over 98% ethnic Japanese, non-Japanese residents are rarely, for example, uh, to this day, uh, you know, given tenure at universities when they worked there as professors, uh, almost never elected to any position of government. And back in the 60s and 70s, when Asahara was going to school, they looked down on Koreans the most. They had kicked Korea's ass in the not-too-distant past. They ran Korea from 1910 to 1945. They'd done a bunch of horrible shit to Koreans, forced the women into sexual slavery during World War II, lots of stuff. Asahara, uh, not Korean, and I guess this rumor really pissed him off. He felt tremendously insulted, and I'm sure some kids got their, you know, asses beat over that. Uh, the fact that he ran for class president shows some ambition, and he was ambitious. He wanted at one point, you know, like a lot of kids, uh, to be a famous actor, like to watch soap operas on TV. Uh, he acted in school plays, even wrote his own play, took the lead role. Uh, another childhood ambition of his was to one day be elected prime minister. Uh, later, he will run for prime minister. And then, you know, after that, he'll want to be more than prime minister. Uh, 1975, now 20-year-old Asahara graduates from school. I just picture him his graduation ceremony. He's standing there. He's fucking huge. You know, he's muscular. And just like all the kids around him are just like, you know, whenever they, whenever he takes a step, they're just uh, uh, like really just, you know, trying to move flinching. They all got like black eyes, fucking, you know, bruises and shit on their faces. Uh, he moves on to uh, almost immediately attend a local preparatory school called Cram School to prepare for his college entrance exams. He applies to the University of Tokyo to study medicine or law and fails entrance exams. Uh, he shows ambition here too. Uh, Tokyo University, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, it tops the ranks of Japan's best universities uh, basically every year and has for many years. It's, it's like uh, in the US, like if he applied to Harvard and only to Harvard, no backup plan, that's confidence. If only he would have been accepted, maybe he would have been content to be a lawyer or a doctor and I wouldn't be talking about him now. Early rejection, so often a part of a cult leader's story. Right? Charles Manson, he wanted to be a rock star. He would have never formed a cult. The fucking Beach Boys would have hooked him up with a record deal. Young David Koresh, he wanted to be a rock star. Actually briefly moved out to Hollywood and then found out that no one thought he was uh, as good on guitar as his buddies back in Texas. And he headed back to Waco. Uh, young Tony Alamo, he wanted to be a big pop star. Cut a few records. He did okay, but not but not, not well enough for him to actually tour uh, and, you know, and become a star. Father Yod, he clearly wanted to be a rock star. Forced his so source cult members to listen to perhaps the worst psychedelic rock 
literally ever created. There's gonna be some oh, empty, boy. There's gonna be some downs, but ain't nobody gonna shuffle my baby around. Never forget the acoustic delights of Father Yod's Yahawah 13 band. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be a famous author. That didn't work out. Then he wanted to be embraced and heralded as a star of the international psychiatric community. And those guys were like, no, fuck you. They rejected him hard, told the public, no, this guy's a lunatic. He's a quack. And then he founded Scientology. Uh, ambition plus a failure to achieve what they initially set out to accomplish, uh, you know, often sends these power-hungry men towards cult leadership. March 1975, after failing to get into Tokyo University, Asahara begins attending the junior college where he will uh, receive training as an acupuncturist. Mm. Nothing against acupuncturists, but it feels like a serious step down from doctor and lawyer ambitions. Like if you're an acupuncturist, I mean, truly good for you. I want to try it one of these days. I know people who love it. Say it helps them manage pain, reduce anxiety, et cetera, uh, tremendously. But I don't think any parent has ever uttered a version of the following sentence. Or sentences, I guess, technically. Good news. David has decided to drop out of med school and become an acupuncturist. Nope, that's never been said. Asahar now moves to the city of uh, Kumamoto, just 30 miles north to work as an acupuncturist and a masseuse, much bigger city, over 730,000 people now. And it borders the metropolitan area of uh, f- uh, Fukuoka, uh, Kita Kyosho, where an additional roughly 4 million people live. And obviously I'm doing my best with the Japanese pronunciations. A lot of words I had not encountered before this suck. A lot of, a lot of pronunciation guys. Forgive me uh, as a non-native Japanese person for not nailing them. Uh, here, when he wasn't working, he also began to study traditional medicine, i.e. folk medicine, and he eventually opened his own pharmacy in Chiba where he sold special Chinese herbal remedies. And here we go. Uh, here's where he likely started walking directly into wackadoodle. Uh, you know, I know more magical things than other people knowville. If you sell or study or like to take traditional medicine, you know, the shit you buy at stores that probably also sell a lot of crystals. My wife, Lindsay, loves this shit. Well, good for you. I think a lot of the herbs and elixirs sold these places do have value. They can work hand in hand for sure with modern medicine. But I have also met and or researched a fair amount of people who study in this area, who get real cocky and arrogant and start to think that the folk medicine they're selling, uh, whose efficacy is based almost always on nothing but anecdotal evidence, I know this works because a guy guy I know uh, told me about a friend of his uncle's who rubbed this uh, potion on his foot and then his warts went away. You know, it's like that kind of evidence. And they start to think or at least claim to think that this folk medicine is magical. You know, drink this elixir full of black rhino horn dust and monoatomic gold particles and you can astral project or your fucking arm will grow back or some crazy shit. Uh, They think it's superior to medicine whose efficacy has been proven through longitudinal uh, longitudinal clinical trials. That's what ah, it kills me about people really anti-science right now. It's like everybody I've ever seen who's strongly anti-science is just in general. It's like, oh, it's because you don't fucking know how science works. Like you don't know the difference between clinical trials and just my friend Bob told me it works. And, uh, and they become, you know, the classic snake oil salesman, con artists, tricking desperate people into buying some root or some tea made out of some leaf they claim will destroy your brain tumor or knock out your MS. And it's super fucked up. You know, they pass on inf- misinformation that leads people to avoid treatment that often has a real chance of saving their lives. They kill people with their bad and reckless advice. And I am strongly guessing, based on who he will later become, that Asahara was one of these dickhead snake oil peddlers. In 1976, the age of 21, Asahara gets into some legal trouble. Uh, he beats someone's ass and he gets convicted of causing bodily injury to another person. He gets fined, he loses a job, and then he moves to Tokyo. Uh, he learns that the outside world probably not going to put up with his violent tendencies like the blind school staff would. Also, Not sure this played into it at all, but someone who can see you 
can obviously identify you, you know, to the police, a little easier than a blind student if you beat him up. I wonder if that, uh, you know, affected any kind of trouble he got into the blind school, like why he didn't get more. Maybe they're like, well, I think Asahara fucking smacked me around, but you know, I didn't see him. Uh, 1977, Asahara marries a girl he met in college, uh, Tomoko Ishii. Tomoko was pregnant with his child when they got married and she gave birth to his first daughter in 1978. His daughter's name has not been mentioned in any recent press articles about the cult. Even when she's directly referred to, clearly she values her privacy, you know, so uh, I won't share her name here either. In recent years, while remaining anonymous, uh, she did release a statement denouncing her father, his cult, and expressing sympathy for any victims of her father's violence. In total, Asahara and his wife would end up having six children, and Tomoko will remain loyal to him throughout all of this craziness, is still loyal to him today. Still belongs to a splinter group that formed out of Om's ashes, and so do some of his children. When a cult gets big enough, man, it's real hard to kill it. Is the cult of QAnon that big yet? Fuck, I hope not. Ah, no compounds, no known leader, so we can still hope. We can still pray that uh, those weirdos will fade out eventually. Uh, Tomoko came from a well-to-do family, and shortly after their marriage, Asahara borrows money from her father to open the Matsumoto Acupuncture Clinic. He'll not only administer acupuncture here, here, he'll also sell traditional medicine. Around this time, Asahara also becomes an avid yoga student. And certain beliefs associated with yoga he studies will heavily influence his religious beliefs as the years progress. Yoga, not always just stretching and breathing techniques. Not always just a way for affluent white women in Lululemon pants to work out before grabbing an oat milk latte. Or just for new age dudes to hit on these women while also stretching and shit. And I know I'm being sarcastic and inflammatory here. A lot of people love yoga and I realize it's a great form of exercise, truly. I could use it. I'm way too rigid. I'm jealous. I wish I could bend my body like a lot of you yoga nuts. Wish I could clear my crazy brain sometimes with uh, breathing techniques and stuff. I'm sure it helps, you know, keep you feeling young and loose and relaxed. Helps your aura be the right color, you know, keeps your chi balls nice and tight and bright and all that good stuff. Anyway, certain schools of yoga incorporate Hindu philosophy into their teachings. Yoga comes directly from Hinduism, one of the six major schools of Hinduistic thought. Did you know that? I did not. A lot to get into here, but spiritual yoga is essentially all about clearing your mind and achieving a mental and spiritual state of balance. For imbalance creates bondage. In this school of thought, you become a slave to your job, to your various habits, etc., and true balance liberates you from this bondage. Through yoga and meditation, you release tension from your body and from your mind, and you focus on the idea of a higher self, higher consciousness, life or light that you can achieve through sustained effort, some semblance of nirvana, a state of self-realization and total liberation from all the sufferings, and you squeeze your power crystals tight and you float or something. And when you're totally liberated from bondage, you can levitate and teleport and you can shoot Street Fighter II Hadouken uh, energy blasts out of your hands. Oh, you get Hadouken! Hadouken! Uh, gosh dang. Uh, kidding, of course. I wish you could fucking shoot Hadoukens. I'd be doing yoga right now. Terms like chakras get thrown around, you know, in this uh, school of thought. You get you got to align your chakras through meditation and yoga. You got, you got seven centers of spiritual power in the human body. That's your chakras. You know, cue spa music. Lay out the amethyst. Uh, like traditional homeopathic medicine, yoga has a ton of value. But also, some people take this shit too far and will literally claim to do things like meditate until they levitate. That specifically will be a major claim of Asaharas. That will help him recruit a lot of members. Uh, 1982, Asahara is arrested for selling fake medicine. I told you he was a snake oil salesman. He gets fined 2,000 bucks, uh, is briefly thrown in jail. He's convicted of fraud. And his pharmacy and acupuncture clinic go bankrupt. And I'm sure... His father-in-law was fucking furious. Uh, broke and searching for answers, he joins a small new religious movement now called Aganshu. This movement is based in ancient Buddhist teachings, but also adds elements of Hinduism and, for funsies, European doomsday prophecies. Ha <laughs> ha, fuck yeah. 
Agachu was created in 1954. Its popularity rose when it became an official religion in Japan in 1981. Asahara got sucked in, became a devoted member. Agachu was part of his inspiration for, you know, starting his own cult. Agachu is still around with an estimated 300,000 members. Uh, appears to be relatively harmless, but, you know, kind of weird with that doomsday focus. They're mostly known for these giant fire rite ceremonies they do every year where they burn two giant pyres, one for the living, one for the dead. Uh, ideally, if you know this ritual works perfectly, it opens up the sky to heaven, like back in ancient times when that supposedly happened, but never did. Uh, it doesn't seem like they've been able to figure out how to open that heaven hole. Their beliefs are, frankly, a little hard to understand. Like a lot of these cults, they remind me of the Game of Thrones, Lord of Light priestess and her followers. Holy shit, is that actress. Uh, Carice Van Houten, super hot, by the way. Hail, Lucifina. Uh, Aganchu introduced Asahara to the prophecies of Nostradamus. While he was a member of Aganchu, he claimed he had an awakening of Kundalini. This is the concept of mystical yoga. Uh, Kundalini is uh, when one unlocks the cosmic energy at the base of the spine. You got to get that root chakra. Open the fuck up. You got to pour some visine in that third eye if you want it clear. And this all sounds totally legit and not at all crazy. Uh, you just got to, we just all need to unlock our cosmic root energy energy through stretching. <laughs> if your hamstrings are loose enough, that's when your root energy uh, fucking powers your spine and you can do all you get. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he gets into all this meditative breathing and I don't know, I guess if you do meditate enough, some Nostradamus doomsday prophecies start to make sense in this cult or something. Not long after joining up with this NRM, uh, Asahara tells his wife Tomoko that he's having a religious crisis and then he leaves to go to India to explore his spirituality for three fucking years. He was clearly a very patient woman. I bet his father-in-law literally wanted to kill him. If someday I have a son-in-law and say, uh, you know, he abandons Monroe to go find himself in India for three years after they have a kid, after he loses fucking business money I loaned him, yeah, I'm gonna actively root for his death. In one of his later sermons, Asahara said, uh, one day I stopped fooling myself altogether and thought, what am I living for? Is there anything absolute? Does true happiness really exist in this world? If so, can I get it? I did not realize at this point that what my soul was looking for was enlightenment, but I couldn't sit still. Urged by such relentlessness, I started a blind search. It was an intense feeling. It was a fate. So I left my wife to take care of our children. She can figure it out. And I abandoned all my responsibilities and just focused on me because enlightenment and happiness mostly occur when you're a selfish prick who just focuses on himself. Uh, I added those last parts. Uh, I wonder if anyone uh, listening to the speech uh, did snicker a little bit when he said blind search. Uh, anyway, 1982, he decided to embark on a road to enlightenment to find answers to all his questions. While living in India, he meets the Dalai Lama and he studies yoga at Buddhist temples. Uh, he has his picture taken with the Dalai Lama, basically the Pope of Buddhism. Uh, same dude has been the Dalai Lama since 1940. How crazy is that shit? Uh, he was five when he was given the title. He's 86 now. And the Dalai Lama has taken his picture with a lot of people. He's very old. Not a heavy screening process to get your pic taken with the Dalai Lama. Next to him, cult leader Keith Raniere, right? He had his pick taken with Dalai Lama. And like Raniere, Asahara would use this pick for propaganda purposes. I'm legit. Come on. The Dalai Lama endorses me. Obviously, we're in the same picture and everything. Uh, 1984, Asahara founds his own NRM called Am Shinshin no Kai. This group will later become Am Shinriko, Divine Truth, a few years later. Uh, Shinshin no Kai, by the way, apparently translates into, this is so good, the circle of divine wizards. Fuck Yeah. That's when you know your head is screwed on tight. When you start a cult called the Circle of Divine Wizards. I get why he would change the name later. I mean, Divine Truth does sound like a cult that wants to be taken more seriously than the Circle of Divine Wizards. That sounds like a group that plays Magic the Gathering every Saturday down at the game you know, shop. Uh, <laughs> I like that one more though. It's a fun one, Circle of Divine Wizards. 
Uh, at the age of 29, this guy who couldn't get an acupuncture business to stay open is now a spiritual guru who begins to recruit followers. Cult, cult, cult. He knew what a disillusioned seeker looked like because he was one. Asahara founds a new yoga school, a publishing house to recruit followers. Not clear we got that initial money to start all this up, but based on his pattern later, I'm assuming he got his first followers to give him all their money and assets. Uh, 1985, Asahara returns home to Tokyo and the famous image of Asahara levitating begins to circulate around in the media. The photo appears in the Japanese version of the occult magazine Twilight Zone, a magazine where he will advertise to recruit followers. This gets Asahara on the public radar. It attracts some nerdy recruits, often educated in tech, sci-fi geeks with good jobs and a decent amount of assets to hand over to him. And it's so frustrating. This photo is so fucking dumb. This is his primary recruitment tool. And it saddens me how he was able to trick people with it. He just, he just figured out, I've seen this people do this on Instagram and stuff. He figured out how to like uh, hop off the floor a little bit while sitting in that crisscross applesauce pose, right? Like good core and kind of hip strength, a little pop and you pop off the floor and he had the camera go off on the right time. And, and it's, and he sells this as like, I'm peacefully levitating and his face is grimacing. His hair's all over the place. He's clearly moving quickly. But he tells people he's, you know, he's just, he's just levitating peacefully. You know, he's got his chakras all aligned, right? And sadly, people buy it. You know, I guess if you really want to be tricked, you're just going to be. That's what I just think about more and more as I get older. If you just want something to be real badly enough, you'll see evidence where none exists. And I say this as someone who believes in weird shit. I would love to see undeniable video proof of either an alien or a ghost. It would be so fucking, that'd be so great. And I do believe both are real. I can't prove it, but I just believe it. I'm not going to bore you with all the reasons uh, why now and distract too much from this story. But, you know, while I've seen some videos that are maybe of UFOs or ghosts, I think they probably are. I still haven't seen one that I would bet my life on as far as being 100% undeniably legit. And I want to see that real bad, but I'm not going to force it. Because if I did, a part of me would always know I was lying to myself, you know? But some people, man, some people are so fucking good at lying to themselves. Also in 1985, Asahar claimed that when he was uh, wandering near the ocean, alone, conveniently, a deity appeared before him, clear as day, and said that he was the god of light who leads the armies of the gods. God, they always give him a powerful message, don't they? Some vision never shows up. It's like, hey, buddy, I need you to keep the toilet clean until I get back. Oh, okay. Can I have anything more powerful than that? No, 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 no. Just keep it clean. Just keep it clean for a while. I'll check on you later. Uh, he told Asahara, this, uh, this guy, that he had to fight in a war to destroy darkness and create a kingdom of Shambhala, a utopian society from Tibetan Buddhist lore, a spiritual kingdom, heaven on earth. It's heaven on earth, uh, but you, it's hard to find, but it's hidden. It might be in the hollow earth or something. Nobody knows. Uh, this mythical land, uh, you know, that uh, Shangri-La was based on is uh, Shambhala. Oh boy. Uh, so now he has to pick of him with Dalai Lama. Uh, he's, he's pretty good at yoga. He knows how to talk about, you know, new agey shit. He knows about chakras and fucking roots and elixirs. Uh, you know, he has a pick that he claims is of him levitating. Now he's talking to God on the beach who deems him an important spiritual leader, God's chosen warrior to fight against the army of darkness. Not to be an asshole, but uh, you'd think God would pick somebody with 20-20 vision to lead a battle against an army of darkness. I mean, come on. With his eyesight... Asahara, he couldn't even get into the regular military. He wouldn't be allowed to pilot a jet. He wouldn't be allowed to co-pilot a jet. Probably not even sit in the first row. I don't know. But he's uh, he, now he's leading the most important army ever. I don't know. So frustrating. This dumb spiritual shit works. So disheartening in moments that the world is full of so many spiritually gullible people. People just ready to be, you know, taken in. If someone shows you a pic of them levitating, and this is part of their body of proof for them being a spiritual leader, I don't know, how about you ask them to fucking prove it? Levitate again, you phony fuck. 
I wish those blind kids he used to uh, pick on would have ganged up on him back at that school and beaten him to death when he was a kid. Uh, Asahara announces his vision in an interview for a Japanese New Age magazine, right? Talks about his meeting on the beach with his God and more people are now drawn to him. And man, anyone excited by that interview to meet him, they're fucked. When you seek out a dude who says he met some God of light on the beach, <laughs> you're, you're showing up at the compound with the hook already set in your mouth. There's probably not any place he can't lead you. Uh, 1986, Chitsu Matsumoto officially changed his name to Shoko Asahara. He says this happened to him after he had a final enlightenment while meditating in the, Him- in the Himalayas, of course. Of course, the Himalayas. Can't just be on some random hill. Spiritual home with the Tibetan Buddhists. So important to mystics, right? Gives you that street cred. Why? It's just some fucking mountains. Why, why do people automatically attain spiritual credibility in the eyes of so many when they spend time in Tibet? Ooh, he must know something. He was in Tibet. <laughs> he was in the Himalayas. I don't give a fuck. In my eyes, that doesn't make any less crazy than if you just wandered up the mountains, you know, down the road from my house, you know, went up on fucking Huckleberry Ridge and meditated yourself into believing some weird, crazy shit. Uh, Shoko means bright light. Asahara means field of hemp. The plant symbolizes connection. His new name, not just cool sounding like I joked about earlier, it's powerfully symbolic. He is connecting you to the light, to heaven, to nirvana. Asahara now grows out his hair and beard. Can't be a cult guru with an accountant's haircut. Now you got to grow that shit out like Jesus. And he starts wearing traditional Hindu ropes, cult leader ropes. Fuck yeah. Cult, cult, cult. Uh, he begins preaching about uh, Shambhala, plans to build armed communes to bring his utopian society to life. Uh, Shambhala not in the hollow earth, by the way. Your trusty guru, bright light, hempfield, whatever the shit. Uh, he can build it for you, he says now. He can, he can take, you know, uh, your, your, I don't know, your energy and your chi and use it to, to build nirvana. Thank, thank you, Mr. Bright Light Hempfield. Thank you, Mr. Grow Light Weed Farm. Um, in 1997, Guru Strobe Light Pot Ranch renames his group to Om Shinriko. The group's name again means Supreme Truth. And again, such a bummer they didn't stick with Circle of Divine Wizards. It's the best cult name ever. Maybe a band could be named that. Ah, oh, the Circle of Divine Wizards sounds awesome. Some progressive metal band or something. I don't know. Some psychedelic rock band. Asahara and his small group of followers are now handing out pamphlets, giving street sermons, teaching yoga classes in Tokyo. Uh, former members said that at this time, you know, he seemed pretty cool. Asahara was used benevolent. Soft, warm, compassionate. They could feel a charismatic power emanating from him. Uh, that won't last long. Uh, also around this time, Asahara begins uh, becoming dissatisfied with the trappings of traditional Buddhism. It bores him. He starts to tweak the scriptures a little bit, adding a little bit of Hindu, a little bit of New Age, a little bit of his own thing. Uh, he wants to create a religion that emphasizes non-Japanese themes. Perfect for recruiting people dissatisfied with traditional Japanese life. He promotes a spiritual path where the goal is enlightenment ASAP. He's going to fast track that shit. No reincarnating you over and over and over and over until you finally achieve, you know, Nirvana, traditional Buddhist style bullshit. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, He preaches that he can lead you to Nirvana in like, I don't know, 10, 20 years tops. You don't have to become a grasshopper or fucking cow or something and then work your way through it. He'll do it through yoga classes, meditation, uh, some shit called psychic development exercises to help his followers reach enlightenment. Psychic development exercises. That sounds fun. I feel like you get pretty loosey-goosey with those. You know, really make up whatever the fuck you want since none of that has ever been proven to work. Uh, in some spiritual teaching, pamphlet books he wrote at this time, Asahara now starts claiming that he is Jesus. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's Jesus in physical form and better, he can time travel. So that's a fun claim. That's a fun thing to believe. Uh, not sure we've come across a cult leader yet who, you know, just says he can actively time travel. I feel like that claim could really come back to haunt you. Could really make you look like a dick. You know, if some cult member asks you to go back, save their child from maybe a car crash or something, 
And you're like, I mean, I, I could. Of course I could. Yes, obviously. But I'm not going to. It's not good <laughs> to, uh, to mess about in the past. I learned that the hard way. Uh, might change the present in terrible and unexpected ways. Uh, I used to <laughs> I used to have my full sight, but I went back and fucking tinkered around with some things and lost one of my eyeballs. And they're like, okay, uh, okay, I don't like it, but fine. Makes sense. But then, you know, if you ever then claim going forward to go to the past for any reason, now they're like, hey, hey, you said going back was a bad idea. But now, but now you do it? Well, then now go back and save my son, you fucking asshole. Uh, uh, henchman, uh, please show this person out and silence them. Uh, Japanese Jesus will not stand for being criticized like that. Uh, randomly, when uh, coming across all this info for the first time, I got kind of bummed out that no one from my childhood or young adulthood uh, or family has become a crazy cult leader. How entertaining if Guru Flashlight Hemp Bracelet is your cousin or uncle or something, right? And still comes by to visit. You know, that, that's that's fun. Uh, life is good, Asahara. Uh, we just bought a new home. Uh, I got a promotion at work, uh, but working on learning how to how to play piano. So that's nice. How about how about you? Uh, real good, Matashi. I've uh, collected a small but dedicated band of followers. Uh, we have a compound now. Uh, I found out I'm Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I'm working on time travel. So much fun gossip if you're related to somebody like that. You know, close enough to see them a fair amount, but not too close, uh, not so close that it's devastating. Like if my, like if my sister became a psycho cult leader like that, I'd hate it because I love her. And I like to spend time with her and I value our relationship. But I have a few cousins whose relationship I would be willing to sacrifice. It would be fucking great. If they became cult leaders, it'd be so fun to talk about. Also, in the late 80s, Asahara is teaching the works of 16th century astronomer, fellow con artist, Nostradamus. Oh, many thought predict the world would end in 1999. Since he's come up a few times now, we, we sucked that guy uh, ways back, episode 40. And we learned that he did not predict shit. Uh, you throw enough vague predictions against the wall, and a few of them are bound to kind of vaguely stick. Asahara was teaching all kinds of shit. He taught that, taught that there are a number of levels of consciousness that a member can reach by following the teachings of only him, Master Shoko Asahara. But only one person can reach the highest level of consciousness. And that is, of course, Master Shoko Asahara himself. Nice. Don't leave the door cracked open to someone possibly stepping in and thinking they can become your equal. That's a good way to have your cult cookie crumble. Asahara did believe in reincarnation, you know, again, but if you follow his teachings, you know, you stretched, you fucking breathe right, you got your chakras tuned up, you know, you could, you could skip it. You could fast track to Nirvana. Also believed in extrasensory experiences such as clairvoyance. Awesome. Uh, being able to see through walls. Fun. Uh, and of course, levitation. He claimed, <laughs> he claimed he could do more than just levitate like he does in that cheesy picture. He claimed he could levitate and uh, fly around rooms when he wanted. So weird that he never you know, showed anyone that. If I could levitate and fly around the room, oh my God, I would do it so much that you would grow to hate it. You might think like, no way. I would love to see somebody fly around the room for a little while. I'd, I'd, I'd obnoxiously do it. You'd eventually hate it. You'd be like, dude, stop. You keep knocking all the papers on my desk when you whiz by. Quit, you just spilled coffee on my keyboard again. You fucking flying dick. Uh, and then sometime around 1987, Asahar becomes fixated on the Hindu god Shiva, the god of destruction. A god whose primary role it is uh, to destroy the universe in order to recreate it. So that's, you know, that's not good. That's not good for Guru uh, Nightlight Edible Bag or whatever his name is. Asahara now starts to preach that salvation can only come after Armageddon and only for those who are part of Om. You have to get the world destroyed to achieve salvation, to have, you know, your fucking Shangri-La. Members could only be saved if they got to a higher state of consciousness by following his and only his teachings in, the, in his major religi religious treaty called the destruction of the world. He describes how the world will end because of a war between the U.S. and Japan now. He says this war will start in 1997. 
He bases his book on the prophecies, of course, of Nostradamus and the revelations of St. John, book of revelations, Buddhist scriptures, his own personal revelations. Uh, Asahara's public image, still of a new guru spreading peace and happiness, but, you know, it's a far cry from the truth now, privately. His crazy cult's growing really fast, attracting thousands of members. He starts opening up numerous compounds around Japan, mostly around Tokyo at first, coming up with a bunch of strange and constantly changing initiation rituals and cult practices, just weird shit. Uh, former members testified that they would pay thousands of dollars for rituals uh, involving stuff like strands of Asahara's hair or like drinking his dirty bathwater. Uh, one cult member paid over $8,000 for a blood initiation where he drank what he was told was some of Asahara's blood. <sighs> Progress towards enlightenment and commitment to the cult was uh, marked by three levels of initiation. He had to undergo ever-evolving rituals at each level. After the third level, followers were admitted into the monastic community, and it was clear that total unwavering devotion to their guru was expected. At members at the third level, uh, people are expected to cut off all contact with their families. Their only social interaction with other members. Cult, 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 strong-ass cult move. Live only in my echo chamber. Works well for cults, works well for politicians and media conglomerates too, right? Listen only to our outlets that spin everything in ways favorable to us. Think about how many families are divided now because of people getting lost in media echo chambers, political chambers, only listening to one heavily slanted point of view. What lots of media outlets and a lot of politicians do to their viewing and voting bases is uh, just a diluted form of what cult leaders do to their followers. And they all do it because tribalism and echo chambers, that shit works. Time and time again. Uh, there were several classifications for the members. Yeah, lay members were called uh, Ziki. Everyone wanted to become uh, Shuki, a priest or none. Uh, the Shukisha, members living communal lives. And I guess Shuki means to leave home. Asahara told new followers that if they wanted to reach salvation, they had to become Shukisha by leaving home and giving up all their property and they had to give up their names. Had to take on a new Sanskrit name. That's a that's a deep cult cut. Oof. Say goodbye to who you were before. That person's dead. You are now my vessel, my spiritual child. Only we are your family now. Only I am your father. It's fucking insane what he's pulling off after just a few years of having a cult. Dude clearly had a lot of charisma. Growing up intimidating, manipulating those poor blind students. Man, that's really paying off for him now. Smart playing off of a religious precedent here with that priest-nun stuff too, right? Making it not seem as crazy to leave home, join a commune, because that's what monks and priests and nuns have been doing for centuries. How weird is it? So many of us, you know, historically haven't been bothered by someone leaving the family to become a nun or a priest or a monk, but many of the same people not bothered by that would be very bothered by someone leaving their family to join, you know, like this guy's cult. Not the same I know exactly, but pretty close when you stand back far enough to, to look at it all. Uh, Shuki has to uh, go through complete, uh, or Shuki, the, the priests and nuns, they have to go through complete celibacy at the level three. No ejaculation allowed, as dictated by the guy who will have six kids. Uh, they had to agree to off and on fasting, long meditations, breathing exercises, hours long uh, prostration, work assignments, sleep deprivation, small quarters, mild starvation, ate only small portions of rice and vegetables twice a day, little to no protein. Sweet, keeping them nice and disoriented. All the most successful cult leaders do that. Can't give your followers too much time to think. Can't let them feel too good. They might finally get clear-headed and realize how fucked up you are. Uh, Guru Lava Lamp Waterbong preached all kinds of crazy shit to his compound members. He preached that supernatural power could be achieved through non-sexual means, through abstinence, right? Like I was just talking about. But, but before he started Om, Asahara, I guess, frequently tried to obtain supernatural power through masturbation or sex. I love that detail in one of the sources. Supernatural power through masturbation. How often do you have to beat off to do that? Like after beating off a few times in a day, you know, it hurts. The skin's so sensitive. Do you have to push through that pain? 
to achieve some kind of supernatural jerk-off session? Do you have to beat it until you bleed? Is that even possible? Can you get hard when you hurt that much? And what power do you unlock through intense masturbation? The power to not be controlled by the urge to beat off all the time because you finally completely broken your dick? Is that nirvana? Beating your dick until you break it. Uh, even though Asahara preached abstinence, it would be revealed later that he offered, of course, transfers of energy to select female followers, which were tantric sexual initiation rituals. I fucking knew it. Of course, Guru Street Lamp Vape Pen was fucking some of his followers. Of course, I was waiting for this. The guy went big with being a cult leader in every aspect of cult leading. Uh, he also had other non-sexual initiation rituals and exercises he developed to help his priests and nuns along their spiritual journey to nirvana and to keep them obedient and focused on his teachings and confused and never understanding what's going on. Uh, some followers given massive amounts of LSD and led through visions to believe he was Christ in one ritual. Would love to get my hands on that LSD, you know, minus the cult brainwashing. In another ritual, they were given massive amounts of narcotics and then confessions of doubt would be extracted from them or confessions of embarrassing acts they'd committed. So that could be, you know, blackmailed, used against them uh, later and uh, keeping them subservient. Sounds like they had great drugs. Uh, so much of this did not come out until after his arrest. Uh, there were rituals where followers would have to chant about their failures over and over while high. A lot of chanting rituals. Like there was one cassette tape this person played in a video. <laughs> and it was just like him saying like the same two things over and over. You know, uh, focus on the knowledge, focus on the knowledge, focus on the knowledge, focus on the knowledge, learn the breathing, learn the, I mean, it was just like dumb, like, okay, vague stuff. Uh, other cold training exercises consisted of immersion in hot or cold water, being hung upside down for long periods of time, uh, long periods of dangerous solitary confinement. During some initiation ceremonies, devotees were locked in a small box, literally buried alive with limited oxygen for over 24 hours. And there's rumors that, you know, a fair amount of people died <laughs> from this. And then they just... They, you know, they burned them and hid the bodies. Uh, this torture was justified by a need to overcome any bad karma a new member could bring to the group. Now you got to put them in the box or they could bring their karma in. Didn't you read page 673? Come on. Uh, September 1988, one disciple was bound and hung up by his legs as part of an initiation, uh, initiation ritual for way too long. And then he was dunked suddenly in freezing water and the shock killed him. Uh, his family filed a police report assisted by a lawyer. And then that lawyer disappeared forever. Hmm. Weird. Asahar explained the death by saying that the boy died because he shed his earthly body under his guru's guidance so that he could be reborn. Uh, only one of his followers considered leaving him over this incident and uh, that person was quickly dealt with. That's when you really have control, when you can fuck and kill followers with little to no consequences. Asahar, he has to feel like a god now, a golden god. Fuck being class president. He's way more powerful than that now. After this guy died, other followers acting on Asahara's orders burned his body, threw away the ashes. Uh, one member threatened to, uh, go to the police and in response, he was strangled to death and his body burned as well. How wild is this story? And it just, it's going to get so much wilder. Uh, there was a level above Shuki, above the priests and nuns, the, uh, Sigoshi. And, uh, then there was the, uh, Satashi above that, the sacred grand teachers, the five sacred grand teachers were Ishii, Hisako, Asahara's wife, Tomoko, uh, Achari, Ashara is, uh, his third daughter, uh, Hideo, uh, Murai and Fumihoro Joyu. Uh, Guru LED, like LED light, fat blunt. Uh, he held the title of Sanshi, revered master. Cole was getting so many new members by the end of the eighties. They established a recruitment division called the new followers agency. This agency distributed pamphlets, gave street sermons, taught yoga, herbal healing, meditation classes. They recruited at computer stores, nice, uh, bookstores, noodle shops, even made broadcasts on Russian radio. They used psychedelic and mind-altering drugs as part of their recruitment process. 
right? Your LSD dealer is uh, trying to pull you into a cult now. They also use brainwashing techniques like sleep deprivation, isolation on new recruits to confuse them, pull them into the cult. Most of the followers still came from universities and good jobs. They were young people, often in their 20s, from academically pressured backgrounds who, as we talked about earlier, under extreme pressure from their families to prepare for their careers or to continue in their careers. And the cult promised them an escape from the trappings of that life. Not all the members were wealthy or educated. Many working class members also recruited to be construction workers, military soldiers, etc. Yes, soldiers. Building an army now. A lot of stuff going on. They even had animators. Um, created their own animations to present a public image of peace and happiness and fun. To present propaganda. Uh, at its peak, Om will have tens of thousands of members, including numerous rich and powerful people from Tokyo. By 1995, they'll have uh, roughly 50,000 members. Interestingly, Om will end up with three times more members in Russia than in Japan. Uh, the group recruited scientists, technical experts to develop weapons from Russia, also successfully infiltrated law enforcement and the military in Japan and possibly Russia. Uh, Om, Om recruiters targeted individuals with skill sets to fit their agenda, which was becoming more and more centered around bringing about the end times. Asahara's inner circle obtained lists of Japanese self-defense force members, tried to recruit them. They targeted officers from the 1st Airborne Brigade, other special ops divisions. While Japan did not have a, you know, large army, they did have that well-trained uh, well defensive force I mentioned a while back. Uh, they recruited between 20 and 60 former military members of note. These former soldiers, once trained only to protect Japan, would later participate in domestic terrorism. Um, recruited police officers, employees of the prime minister's office in order to get access to classified information there. They targeted business owners and business owners in tech and weapons production to produce their own military technology. It's fucking crazy how well they were able to sell their insane vision. Their theology based around Asahara being, you know, the man the gods had tasked with cleansing the earth and creating Shambhala. Uh, Asahara got all these followers not only to dedicate themselves to him spiritually, he got them to hand over their personal assets. He was a fucking dark wizard. By 1995, he would have just over a billion dollars in assets, equivalent to 1.8 billion now. Another power cult leader move here. Really darkly impressive. I hate this guy, but he was very good at being very bad. He, he's almost peaked now in his cult leader powers. Almost completed the full checklist. Just needs to mobilize his army into violent action. Not allowing followers to remain in contact with friends and family members. Not also part of the cult. Check on isolation. Uh, giving followers too much to do. Not enough to eat. So they're always a little tired, hungry, confused. Check on continual confusion and distraction. Establishing your presence as the undisputed leader by making clear in teachings that no follower can attain your level of enlightenment, that you're God and the reigning alpha male, forbidding followers from ejaculation while you fuck their wives and any other members you want. Check on rigid and oppressive hierarchy where you are the undisputed leader. Forcing followers to sign assets over to you. Let go of their previous jobs so followers are now socially and financially 100% dependent on you which places enormous pressure on them to remain in the cult. Check on no easy way out. Check on damn near 100% control. That's how you get away with murder. So much pressure on members to keep conforming. And he's already convinced followers that the only way they'll survive the apocalypse is by following his teachings, providing even more powerful incentive to stay inside the cult, cult, cult. Check on doomsday acceptance and being a part of the inner circle. Asahar become extremely wealthy. Obviously, from the estates of his members, he and his inner circle uh, reinvest, reinvest much of the money into running businesses, restaurants that will build his empire further. His group not only owned property in numerous countries, they also owned helicopters, boats, literal gold bars, mountains of cash. They owned legitimate businesses like an import-export business, a tea plantation, a computer store, bento box shops, noodle restaurants, fitness club, telephone dating club, why not? Even had a babysitting firm, fun. And Asahara also used these legit businesses for money laundering, Cult members also manufacturing and selling stimulants like meth and LSD. They're not just buying good drugs, they're making them. They put Walter White to shame long before Breaking Bad came out. 
Uh, Om also sold uh, bullshit. What does this really do? Religious training headgear. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. The claim to synchronize the user's brainwaves with Asahara's brainwaves. This headgear supposedly costs, oh my God, $10,000 a month. I cannot fucking believe they sold this. It was called the Perfect Salvation Initiation Unit. Man, just because you have money doesn't mean you're smart. Unreal. This thing looks so dumb. And it didn't do anything outside of giving you just mild electrical stimulation, right? It just kind of felt weird on your head. And it convinced people. It was making them smarter. Hey, my brainwaves are lined up with uh, fucking crazy asses brainwaves. Uh, another way Om made money was through extortion. They targeted church offices across Japan, threatened the residents of towns that they were going to establish themselves there permanently. If they didn't pay up. You don't want us to take your congregation? Fucking pay up, pastor. You know, he forced his followers to practice extortion. Some members would kidnap families for, for ransom. What is going on? He's living it up thanks to all this money. He's fucking his favorite cult members. Well, 99% of them, they're living in cramped squalor, constantly working on weird spiritual assignments. In the early 90s, the cult started buying massive amounts of property around the world. He had to create a heaven on earth. All right, they're going to get that Shangri-La. They used uh, m- many of these properties to store their growing arsenals of chemical weapons. They're manufacturing weapons now. Am builds a headquarters in Fujinomiya, uh, Fuji near Mount Fuji. Also built a large facility in a village called Kamikoshi, Kamikushi Shiki. Kamikushi Shiki. Uh, there were 20 other fil- facilities in Japan, mostly concentrated in and around Tokyo. Most of the lay members lived in 10 buildings in Kamikumi uh, Shiki, or Kamikui Shiki. Sorry, that's a tough one for me. A satirical online game about the cult would later be released called Kamikui Shiki uh, Village. Kamikui Shiki Village. A lot of people think online was created by the cult as an evil recruitment tool. It, it was not. It was created by people making fun of the cult, actually. So you don't have to worry about that game. Uh, at the real uh, Kamikui, Kamikui Shiki, I'm going to have to say that slow every time. Kamikui Shiki Village, there were large buildings used as cult dorms where low-level members lived. These dorms were filthy and infested with bugs because it was against Asahara's teachings to kill any living creature. Members were taught to express disdain for middle-class values of cleanliness. In August of 1989, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government grants Om legal status as a religious organization. This really helps with their early 90s wealth building. Uh, Because of this recognition, Om gets privileges such as tax breaks, uh, immunity from official oversight, and prosecution. Under the Japanese Religious Corporation Law, when a group is recognized as a religious organization, authorities not allowed to investigate the religious activities or doctrines. So that's fine. This allows a group to have perfect cover uh, or a perfect cover for their criminal activities. Not good for anyone. Uh, Just what these assholes needed, the ability to plan horrible shit covertly. This law was inspired by similar U.S. laws regarding religious freedom, which have historically allowed cults here in the U.S. to get away with all kinds of dumb shit. But also probably worth it, thanks to the freedom these laws protect for many other people not doing anything wrong. Uh, Anyway, in Japan, this law was created in 1947 during Allied occupation as a reaction to previous religious persecution from the Japanese government. After Am put in their application to become a religious group, they began an aggressive lobbying campaign outside the offices of the agency, even lobbied politicians to put pressure on the government to approve their application. After they got approved, their net worth would grow from $4.3 million to over $1 billion in just six years. Ah, man. Makes me, want, makes me want to turn Bad Magic Productions into a religious institution. I mean, we do have some gods. Hell no, Rod. Come on. Uh, membership also rose after this recognition. It went from a few hundred in the mid-80s to 10,000 in 92, up to 50,000 by 95. Uh, by 95, they build. Uh, they have built over 30 offices in six countries. These guys are killing it. I mean, this was a growth rate that would have put them ahead of Scientology worldwide just a few more years had they try, uh, not tried so aggressively to bring about World War III. Scientology claims to have anywhere from uh, 4 to 10 million members worldwide, but recent reports by investigative journalists state that that number is just a bit outside. 
uh, grossly exaggerated. Crazy that the Church of Scientology would lie. Uh, the real number seems to be between 50,000 and uh, 200,000 instead of, you know, four to 10 million. Fuck yeah. Uh, way more people than that listen to Time Suck every week. Great suck god Nimrod. More powerful than the incredibly powerful Xenu of Scientology mythology. Fucking suck it, Xenu. Hail Nimrod. Uh, scary to think that Om was on track to be so much bigger than Scientology. Man, so much more dangerous and destructive. Uh, some say that Amya yeah, got their status because they infiltrated the government with their members. Uh, feeling boosted by this new status, Asahara now started calling himself Holy Pope, Savior of the Country, and Tokyo's Christ. Yeah, I love that all the success has not gone to his head. He, he's still as humble as ever. All this wealth and power, still not enough for Asahara. The power he got, uh, the, more, the more power he got, the more he wanted. Now he wants to literally rule the world. Asahara is becoming more deadly as he becomes more powerful, which I guess just makes sense. Beginning in late 1989, Om ramps up the violence further. Families of members say their children are kidnapped, physically assaulted when they try and leave the cult. A few anti-Om groups start popping up in response to these attacks. Then members of these groups become targets for assault and harassment. Some of them disappear because they're murdered. Om is very scary, uh, makes the Church of Scientology look like a benevolent organization. On November 4th, 1989, a lawyer and his family are kidnapped, murdered by Om members. The lawyer represented families attempting to get their children out of the cult. Uh, Sutsumi Sakamoto was a lawyer and human rights activist and very vocal in his opposition to the cult. He was preparing a civil suit against them when he, his wife, and their one-year-old son disappear forever. He, they, uh, well, I guess not uh, forever as far as disappear. They, they, don't, they don't get seen alive again. They will remain until uh, missing until 1995 when all members finally admit to killing them after a bunch of arrests on the morning of November 4th, 1989. Uh, when police entered his apartment in 89, it looked like the family just uh, left quickly, abandoned everything. There were still, uh, you know, plates left out on the table. The police knew Om threatened Sakamoto, but they couldn't prove that Om had abducted them based on initial evidence. Uh, their bodies will be buried separately in three different prefectures. Their killers even smashed their teeth to keep them from being identified. Uh, in February of 1990, Asahara orders 25 candidates to run for Japanese parliament. He thinks that if, the, if they can win their seats, then he can become prime minister, just like he wanted as a kid. Asahara and his followers start their own party called the Shinrito. He's very confident they'll win. Of course he is. He's probably interpreted some old stupid Nostradamus prediction, assuring him of victory, right? They laid out the tea leaves correctly or something. But then all his candidates lose by a lot, literally all of them. It was his class president failure all over again. He's still the bully. Most people can't stand. He's embarrassed. He looks weak to his followers and he's fucking pissed now. This 1990 election failure marks a dark turning point for Asahara and his cult. This failure causes the group's theology to darken, becomes much more doomsday focused. It was already focused on doomsday, but now it's like, that's, that's all that matters. If they wouldn't let him win, now the whole fucking world has to pay. Asahara uh, starts preaching mostly about death and final judgments now. Uh, he predicts a series of disasters that will foreshadow the end of the world. Orders all members now to start collecting firearms, developing biological and chemical weapons, learning to make sarin gas and other horrible uh, weapons of mass destruction. He even wants to acquire nuclear weapons and attack Japan with them. He literally wanted to nuke these fuckers because he didn't win his elections. The world rejected him. Japanese Jesus of all people. And therefore, the world deserved to be punished. Time for Guru Spotlight Pot Brownie to go full Shiva. Asahara wants to literally kick off World War III more than ever, which will end civilization, bring on Armageddon, and thus his cult's salvation, obviously. All his plans for violence, uh, initially kept from low-ranking members, only the inner circle knew his full plans, right? They had to, because they had to help him bring about Armageddon. Asahara becomes obsessed with doomsday prophecies, starts studying the Christian book of Revelations harder than ever, right? Of course, uh, he gives his inner circle uh, titles of uh, minister 
of this and that. Now he starts to uh, really expect that Am is going to replace the Japanese government after World War III. And he structures his cult to mirror the Japanese government. He makes his uh, inner circle, you know, heads of certain departments. For example, Hideo Murai, uh, now the minister of science and tech. Uh, Fumihiro Joyu, public relations minister. Masamami uh, Suchia, chief scientist, and so on. They have 24 organizations. They're taking themselves very seriously. Asahara has a household agency that provides security and medical care for his family. Uh, has a department run by his 11-year-old daughter, Reika Matsumoto. Uh, no one knows exactly what she did, but uh, she'll, later, she'll later lead the cult briefly. Asahara continually reach, preaches now that the end of the world is you know, very near. I'm followers. Uh, they're, only, they're only the ones that are going to survive the apocalypse. He predicts the world will end in 1996 or 1999 or 2003. Revelations, fucking tricky to understand because it's crazy, not written well. Whenever it was, 99, 96, 2003, he knew that the U.S. would bring on Armageddon by starting World War III with Japan. Asahara uses the concept of POA to justify his murders. This is interesting. I'd never heard about this. POA is when someone kills another person, not in a bad way, but just to transfer their consciousness and allow them to be reborn one step closer to nirvana. It's a nice loophole. Not even, it's not even a poophole loophole. It's a regular old loophole. Murder? What? We're not murdering anyone. We're speeding up their reincarnation process to help them achieve nirvana faster. If that's what you mean, we're helping people. Why can't you see that? What a fucking great way to rationalize murder. No, I'm not a cold-blooded murderer. I'm a helper who pushes people along their reincarnation journey. Uh, Asahara said that murdering the entire world was just a big poa, uh, a song from an Am pamphlet explains how the followers believed in Poe. They had these stupid songs and melodies are never incorporated. But it, here's the lyrics. I'll try my best. I will Poe all wrongdoers. I will do whatever is required for salvation of the world. I will practice complete Vajre Oya, Vajre Ana. I will not stop from this practice even if I die from it. I will practice Vajra Ona without a care. Now, as the Bible explains, Armageddon is finally approaching. It must rhyme better in Japanese. I will join the holy army to poa all wrongdoers. I will poa one evil to evils and more. Poa is world salvation. Poa is virtue. Practicing poa will lead me to the highest world. Uh, you know, something like that. Uh, Vajrayona is a form of esoteric Buddhism, by the way. So in this context, they're just literally saying that because they're good and they're faithful Buddhists, they have to kill everyone in the world. That's all. It is unreal how far they openly took things. They're handing out pamphlets now essentially saying that they're going to kill everybody. <laughs> they make the Westboro Baptist Church look like a bunch of fucking friendly cupcakes. Uh, March of 2015, a Japan, a Japan Times staff writer named Masami Ito will publish an article interviewing three former insiders regarding how the cult was operating around this uh, period. So glad he did. It offers a very personal window into all this madness. Uh, Ito interviewed uh, Hiro, Hiroyuki Naka, uh, sorry, Nagaoka, uh, Nagaoka's son and cult lawyer, Taro Takemoto, uh, Nagaoka's son, asked for his name to be kept private, so he'll be referred to as N in this article. And here is what Ido reported, putting a little mood music behind this piece. N joined in the fall of 1987. He was a college student in Tokyo studying Indian, Indian philosophy. He read a few books published by Am and was surprised by the cult's progressive ideas. He was immediately captivated by Guru Asahara. He studied Am's teachings and took part in some of the yoga classes. He then also participated in a 10-day madness camp where participants were forced to undergo severe training that tested their physical strength. He became desperate 
be a member and devoted himself completely. He was a university student on a budget, but he made donations as often as he could. He even skipped meals in order to donate money. Mind control is sort of like magic. Anyone is in danger of falling into that trap. Ahm made it seem like you were free to make choices, but in reality, you were being guided toward those choices. And would achieve a prominent role in the cult, representing Ahm in the media. His father would get very angry about this. Asahara told him not to worry about his father. He told N and other members that having a relationship with their parents was now unnecessary because family only represented life on Earth. N said, The bond between Ahm members was very strong because we thought we were connecting on a spiritual level. We believe we are connected in our past lives as well as the future through reincarnation. I didn't have a good relationship with my dad at that time. I was taught that anything he said was evil nonsense. And dedicated himself to do anything Asahara wanted and worked in the political campaign to get Asahara and 24 members elected to parliament. He ate one meal a day and barely slept. One morning after passing out from exhaustion, he woke up with amnesia. He didn't know who he was or what Om was. A few days later, he recovered his memories from before he joined, including his father's phone number. And then he did some research into Asahara and the, and the cult and realized everything was a lie. I was the son of the chairman of, Om victim, of an Om victim support group. If I had stayed, I would have either been killed or forced to become involved in the Saren attacks. Hiroyuki Nagaoka is the reason his son was able to escape. He stood up to the leaders and tried to help other parents. He was attacked with VX nerve gas several times in retaliation. Together, he and N have helped 30 people leave Om. Hiroyuki noticed something strange was going on when his son started asking for his inheritance. He found a piece of paper in his son's room pledging to give all assets to Holy Master Asahara. Om turned our children into mindless people without a sense of their own free will. They became unable to determine good and bad and that is why Om members don't think twice about murder. They became Asahara's puppets. Asahara was after his property, 500 square meters in Tokyo's expensive Aoyama district. A journalist introduced him to lawyer Katsumi uh, Sakamoto. Sakamoto helped him launch a parent support group in October 1989. His support group was called Am Shinrikyo Family Group. Hiroyuki uh, hired a PI to look into Asahara. The PI visited Chinese medicine stores and analyzed herbal remedies Asahara was selling. He learned it was all a scam. Hiroyuki was forced to sell his land and quit his job because Am began harassing him in his office. He confronted Asahara and other leaders. I called him out on his lies and told him to his face that he's a liar and has no right to preach. Harold Sakamoto was a lawyer who knew Tachimu uh, Sakamoto. Sakamoto asked him to help with the case against the Am cult. He was reluctant to get involved because cults are difficult to deal with. After Sakamoto went missing, Takamoto stepped in to help parents get their kids back and even negotiated with the senior uh, with senior cult members. People are vulnerable and everyone is in danger of falling under their influence. Most of these Am children were honest, hardworking people who grew up not knowing the kind of evil that exists in the world. In July 1993, Takamoto and N started counseling, offering counseling services to members who wanted out. Cult members no longer know the difference between right and wrong. It's the same with Islamic State militants. They think they're doing the right thing by beheading people. Am members could equally commit murder because of their strong religious beliefs. That is what makes them extremely dangerous. First, he started by making the members question small things like buying Asahara's books. Then he got them to question the famous levitation photo. Takimoto demonstrated how it's possible to fake levitation with photography and angles. Asahara felt disrespected by all this. The photo was one of his main tools to get converts. Because of this, Takamoto was put on his cult's hit list. They tried to kill him four times, but Takamoto never backed down. Instead, he sent his family to live separately and took out a 280 million yen life insurance policy. I love this dude. True hero, brave meat sack. Takimoto finally got the trust of a, a few former members, told him about illegal drug use, death of one member on cult property, reported to the police. They sadly didn't take him seriously. 
Also told the police about the attacks on Hiroyuki. They didn't care. They tried to say that Hiroyuki uh, attempted suicide. Takimoto thinks that if the police would have listened, the March 20th, 1995 attack could have been prevented. And then Takimoto will later establish uh, Kani Ria no Kai, the Canary Group, to support over 100 former cult members. So, hail uh, Taro Takimoto, a glorious meat sack. Back to the timeline now. April 1990, there was a confirmed um, attack. Um, sprays, uh, what they think is, I think this, and this seems to be the first of their chemical warfare attacks. Um, sprays, what they think is uh, uh, botulinum, a botulinum toxin using three customized trucks. It's a toxin made by a bacteria that attacks the body's nerves, causes difficulty breathing, muscle paralysis, and possibly death. Uh, members drove near two U.S. naval bases, the Narita Airport, Parliament, the Imperial Palace, and even the headquarters of a rival cult. Fucking cult versus cult gang war shit. They attacked in Tokyo, Yokohama, Yokosuka, and Narita. But none of their attempts worked this day because they didn't isolate. Uh, Clostridium botulinum, the active and deadly strain of the toxin. Had it worked, thousands would have gotten ill and hundreds likely would have died. Uh, this attack may have been in retaliation to losing the parliament campaign. Uh, December 26, 1991, the USSR collapses. Um begins infiltrating, operating former Soviet states. Uh, thousands of their followers will eventually come from the former Soviet Union. October 22nd, 1992, Shoko Asahara leads over 40 followers to Zaire, Africa to treat Ebola patients, is what they said, believed that they went there with the intent to collect samples of Ebola to try and use it as a biological weapon. They most likely failed to collect the proper samples because they will never uh, spread this virus. These fuckers are now just a full-on terrorist organization. 1993, Asahara publishes another book called Sh uh, Shivering Predictions. Sounds like that could be a uh, soft porn title. Shivering predictions. Uh, in it, Guru Glowlight Reefer Madness publicly states his predictions about Armageddon. He writes, from now until the year 2000, a series of violent phenomena filled with fear that are too difficult to describe because they don't make any sense uh, will occur. Japan will turn into a wasteland as a result of a nuclear weapons attack. This will occur from 1996 to January 1998. An alliance centering on the United States will attack Japan. In large cities in Japan, only one-tenth of the population will be able to survive. Nine out of ten people will die. Because of religious protection laws, uh, still not enough evidence to have these idiots investigated. Man, it's crazy. If you say, I'm going to kill nine out of 10 citizens with weapons of mass destruction, you're going to be brought in for question. They're going to likely end up incarcerated for a long time. If you say, God is going to kill nine out of 10 citizens with weapons of mass destruction, I can't wait to watch it go down. You know, you're just written off as a nut. Uh, on June 9th, 1993, Om launches another attack. High-ranking members spray the vaccine strain of anthrax from their roof of their Tokyo headquarters. What the fuck? They used a custom spraying device fitted with a fan and they targeted civilians near the compound, the Imperial Palace and government buildings. This attack ultimately fails because they had not acquired an, a usable strain of anthrax. Making weapons of mass destruction, thank God, is a little harder than they anticipated. If they would have acquired the correct strand, they would have likely killed thousands. Untreated anthrax inhalation kills almost everybody. Treated, it still kills about half the people who inhale a deadly strain. Had that attack worked, these fucking idiots would have also killed a lot of their own members since they launched the attack from the roof of their own headquarters. Asahara, more insane than ever. July 1993, Asahara publishes yet another stupid book called Second Set of Predictions. <laughs> this one, he changes some of the end times dates. Pretty funny title. Feels like the subtitle should be uh, uh, Corrections to Doomsday Nonsense in the first book. <laughs> gosh, gosh dang, it's hard to be a cult leader. Uh, he now wrote, I am certain that in 1997, Armageddon will break out. By breakout, I mean that war will erupt and that it will not end soon. Violent battles will continue for a couple of years. During that time, the world population will shrink markedly. 
a third world war will break out. I stake my religious future on this prediction. I am sure it will occur. And unlike most doomsday predictors, you know, our recent episode uh, uh, on the Jehovah's Witnesses comes to mind. He clearly was not just crossing his fingers and, and hoping for this to happen. He was actively planning terrorist attacks. Carried out in the hope that a large death toll will be blamed successfully on the U.S. and Japan, and that will lead directly to World War III. Oh, man. From June to August 1993, all members attempt two more anthrax attacks. Uh, Shoko Asahara, other members, attack the legislature, the Imperial Palace, the Tokyo Tower. They now use three vehicles with custom spraying devices, but both attacks fail because even though they had the right anthrax strain now, the spray nozzles are clogged. Seriously. Uh, I bet whoever was supposed to make sure those nozzles work got a beatdown. These assholes came so close to committing massive atrocities now uh, several times, but they just keep fucking up one important thing. Starting to remind me of Wiley Coyote trying to kill the Roadrunner, right? He orders the right bombs and weapons from Acme, from their catalog, but always fucks up one important step and the Roadrunner just keeps getting away. Uh, from late 1993 to early 1994, Om um, makes uh, some assassination attempts now on Daisaku uh, Ikeda, head of the Soka Gagai Buddhist Organization. Asahara didn't like this guy's popularity. He's a rival cult leader. This NRM formed in 1930, has over 12 million members. Uh, he didn't like their peaceful, the world doesn't have to end mentality. So he attempts to murder him with sarin gas. A little bit about sarin gas. It's going to be their favorite weapon. They're going to use it frequently. Sarin's a nerve agent developed by the Nazis back in 1938, an odorless, colorless, highly toxic gas. Uh, one of the most lethal nerve gases in the world. Sarin's 500 times more deadly than cyanide, much more lethal uh, actually than the Zyklon B. Nike, uh, that Nazis used in the gas chambers. Uh, hard to make pure sarin, but possible with publicly available chemicals. According to the CDC, sarin is a human-made chemical warfare agent classified as a nerve agent. Nerve agents are the most toxic and rapidly acting of the known chemical warfare agents. They are similar to certain kinds of insecticides called organophosphates in terms of how they work and what kind of harmful effects they cause. Uh, people can get exposed to sarin from skin, eye, and air contact. It can get into water or food supplies. It can be spread from uh, clothing transfer. Symptoms start after just a few seconds. Just a small drop on the skin uh, in like a liquid form can cause sweating and, and muscle twitching. Exposure to a large dose can cause a loss of consciousness, convulsions, paralysis, respiratory failure. Symptoms include runny nose, watery eyes, small pupils, eye pain, blurred vision, drooling, excessive sweating, coughing, chest tightness, rapid breathing, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, increased urination, Confusion, drowsiness, weakness, headache, slow or fast heart rate, high or low blood pressure, just, just fucks you all up. Uh, recovery is possible, but only if you're exposed to a small amount. Uh, sarin works by deactivating. Uh, acetylcholine, a neurotransmitter, without the proper enzyme, acetylcholine will constantly stimulate nerve cell receptors. Uh, acetylcholine will build up, causing excessive twitching, possible paralysis. If the lungs get paralyzed, then you're probably going to die. The best way to get sarin off of you is to take off all your clothes, hose yourself down with water as fast as possible. You may also uh, be able to uh, get an antidote if you're close to a medical facility that can block acetylcholine receptors and protect your muscles from overstimulation. Sarin banned by the Chemical Weapons Convention. More than 190 countries participate in this convention. Very scary shit. And it's, yeah, it's the, uh, the weapon of choice for Om. Law enforcement does not know how the cult tried to spread the gas with their first attempt, but the second time the group uses a radio-controlled helicopter and a vehicle equipped with a sprayer. This is uh, like some James Bond villain shit. During this, uh, the first attempt, you know, they got scared off by people following them. The second attempt, they experienced technical difficulties, the little helicopter crashes, and, uh, you know, catches on fire and doesn't work. Back, back to the Acme catalog. 
these idiots go. On April 27th, 1994, Asahara gives a public sermon from his Tokyo headquarters. He said that his group was attacked with gas by Japan and the U.S. With the poison gas attacks that have continued since 1998, we are sprayed by helicopters and other aircraft ever, uh, wherever we go. The use of poison gases such as sarin were clearly indicated. The hour of my death has been foretold. The gas phenomenon has already happened. Perhaps a nuclear bomb will come next. Nice! Tried and true way to get your followers to go to war with you. Convince them that the enemy is already attacking you. They're trying to kill you. So now you're not the aggressor. You're defending yourself from acts of aggression that have never actually happened. Uh, May 9th, 1994, all members attempt to murder Taro Takimoto, the man who rescued his son and others from the cult, you know, that we just talked about a little bit ago, by releasing sarin into the ventilator system of his car. He experiences mild symptoms of exposure, but no serious injuries. June 17th, 1994, Am attacks residents of a neighborhood in the city of uh, Matsumoto with sarin gas. They use a heating pot to vaporize the gas and a fan to spread it around. The main motive for this attack is to target three judges who lived in the apartments of the neighborhood where they uh, plotted the attack. Uh, other civilians were, you know, nearby. The judges were overseeing a fraud case against the cult and they just wanted to delay the ruling. And this attack sadly was successful. In total, there were seven fatalities, 144 serious injuries, 126 other people who experienced some symptoms of exposure. Uh, an eighth person will later die from the effects of sarin in 2008. They will suffer for 14 years before dying. All three judges survive, but they are injured. After the Matsumoto attack, Asahara convinces his cult at the end of the world. God, it's, it's so soon now. Now it's right around the corner. Faster than previously expected, and they have to expedite the process. Now Om sets up a fucking factory to produce AK-47s. They actually make a bunch. They steal plans to build tanks. <laughs> oh, God, from a military contractor. They began extracting uranium from one of their Australian properties to make nuclear fucking bombs. Anyone who dares to disagree with any of this or tries to leave the cult is now executed. I mean, poet. They're poet. They're pushed along the path of nirvana. Uh, they will not risk someone snitching on them. Between uh, Matsumoto and their later Tokyo subway attack, at least nine of their own members are murdered for dissent. These psychos write two songs, more songs now, about their Sarin attacks. These, uh, they don't translate real well. The Song of Sarin the Magician. <laughs> great, great title. Uh, Song of Sarin the Brave. What is happening? Here, here is Sarin the Magician. Uh, and again, don't know the melody. But the words are, it came from Nazi Germany, a dangerous little chemical weapon, sarin, sarin. If you inhale the mysterious vapor, you will fall with blood coming from your mouth. Sarin, sarin, the chemical weapon. Yeah, it's not a great song. Not a very fun, happy song. <laughs> this is, they're so fucking crazy. Sarin the Brave, not a, not a better song. In the peaceful night of Matsumoto City, people can be killed even with our own hands. The place is full of dead bodies everywhere. There, inhale, sarin, prepare, sarin, prepare, sarin. Immediately, poisonous gas will fill the place. Spray, 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 sarin, brave, sarin. <laughs> I bet these fucking lunatics sang this shit with gusto. Just doing some more poa, just doing good deeds, just poisoning innocent people with smiles on their faces, just helping Shiva, just helping out guru overhead fluorescent lights, hash pipe. Uh, on September 1st, 1994, I'm um, suspected to have attacked towns in the Nara prefecture. 231 people across seven towns uh, affected by skin and eye irritation complain of a foul odor, odor before experiencing symptoms. Sarin gas does smell like a mustard or burned rubber. Some people compare it to paint thinner. On September 20th, 1994, AM members attack uh, Shoko Igawa, a journalist who is writing critically about the cult. Shoko accused AM of kidnapping and murdering uh, Tatsumi Sakamoto in 1999, you know, which, which they did. 
he was a human rights activist, you know, slash lawyer who uh, went missing along with his wife and one-year-old son. These perpetrators uh, release phosgene gas now through uh, Shoko's mail slot while she's sleeping in her apartment. She wakes up, survives the attack, but suffers adverse effects from exposure. Uh, phosgene gas, uh, extremely toxic if you inhale enough of it. In the fall of 1994, up to 20 former AM members murdered by being sprayed with FX gas. More dissidents. So they bring them out to an unknown location and they spray them with a human-made chemical warfare agent classified as a nerve agent. Uh, that fall, AM members suspected to have attempted to kill attorney slash hero, Taro Takamoto, uh, again, by putting VX gas on the door handle of his car. They were retaliating against him this time for starting that canary group to help victims. Uh, that attack also failed. They attempted to kill him again shortly afterwards by mixing uh, botulinum into his drink, that toxin, but this fails because they didn't have the right strain. They will again try and fail later, uh, attempting to kill Takamoto by squirting hair oil with VX gas into a keyhole he frequently used. I'm surprised they didn't eventually just say, ah, just fuck it, just get a gun. But you know what? Bullets would have probably bounced off the chest of that Superman motherfucker. Ah, I love Taco so much. Uh, Takamoto, badass dude. Things get crazier in October of 1994 during one three-month period beginning in October of 94. Resident cult physician, Dr. Uh, Hayashi, administers more than 600 electric shocks to 130 followers. He shocked them so frequently and powerfully that afterwards, some of them forgot which cult they were in, what the guru was called, uh, even their own names. Why is he doing this? Because Asahara wanted to create an army of zombies through mind control experimentation. That's going on in the background. Um, scientists are fascinated by electronics in the brain and following Asahara's instructions, they're trying to achieve mind control. He wants to create a realm of zombies that will always follow his every command. Glad zombies finally showed up in this episode. I felt like this suck was light on zombies. Uh, November 28th and November the 2nd, 1994, Am attempts to murder uh, Noburu Mizuni outside his home in Nagano War, Tokyo. Right? They tried to kill him twice. Members attempt to spray him with VX. Uh, Mizuno had been assisting dissident members of the cult by offering them shelter, shelter helping them with a lawsuit uh, to get their money back. Luckily, these, uh, these attacks fail. December 12th, 1994, all members attack uh, Tadahito Hamaguchi. A member jogged up next to this fella, stabbed him in the neck with a syringe full of VX. He was allegedly spying on the cult. Uh, he immediately becomes sick and is pronounced dead four days later. Towards the end of the year, Asahara moves his prediction for World War III up again, now to November 1995. Finally, the Japanese government is very concerned. He's trying to speed things up and help his prediction along by instigating the war. They're worried he's planning an attack. Uh, U.S. President Clinton, 17 other world leaders are scheduled to gather in Osaka for the annual Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Meeting from November 16th to the 19th, 1995, and Japan hires extra security to protect these leaders. But no attack happens. Um, uh, so back it up here. January of 1995, I skipped ahead a little bit. The cult's monthly paper prints articles with both anti-American and anti-Japanese sentiments. Asahara now predicts Clinton's assassination, calls Japanese government officials black-hearted aristocrats who sold their souls to the devil. There were other lists of officials who may have been assassination targets. Am goes public also with anti-Semitic beliefs in early 1995. They issued a 95-page publication rambling about Jewish people being a hidden enemy. The publication is titled Manual of Fear, and it declares war on the Jewish people. Why not? Why not if I can throw them into the mix? On behalf of the Earth's 5.5 billion people, uh, Vajahanya Saka, name of the paper, uh, hereby formally declares war on the world shadow government that murders untold numbers of people and while hiding behind sonorous phrases and high-sounding principles, plans to brainwash and control the rest. Japanese awake. The enemy's plot has long since torn our lives to shreds. My God, they just keep getting crazier. Uh, something darkly funny to me about a Japanese cult worried about Jewish people. Poking around a bit. 
Uh, it seems like there are a total of three small synagogues in all of Japan. A total permanent Jewish population of anywhere from 300 to 1,400 people in a nation of around 126 million people. Pretty easy target to attack. Uh, I highly doubt Asahara had literally ever met a single Jewish person even one time in his entire life. Idaho probably has more Jewish people than Japan. There's supposedly over 2,000 people here who are Jewish. Uh, Asahara randomly blamed Jewish people for mass murders in Cambodia and Bosnia and the warfare in Rwanda, because why not blame him for everything? He claimed Jewish people were planning on other massacres, uh, planning on reducing the world's population to 3 billion by the year 2000. Uh, this from the guy who wants to get rid of 90% of the world basically immediately. He also spoke about uh, Jewish Japanese who are not actually Jewish, but they were Jewish-ish. Uh, they were cosmopolitan, whatever the fuck that means, businessmen and politicians. He felt these people valued the opposite of Am's teachings. He's probably right about that. You know, they weren't crazy. Uh, January 4th, 1995, Am members attempt to kill Hiroyuki Nagaoka, the head of, Am's the, of an Am's victims group. I spraying him with VX gas outside his home in Tokyo. Talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, Hiroyuki suffers from cardiorespiratory arrest and was in critical condition for 10 days. He lived, but to this day, the right side of his body is paralyzed and he has to go to the hospital every month for treatment. February of 1995, Am members attempt to murder uh, Ryo Okawa, leader of the Institute of Research into Human Happiness, another rival religious organization. He's always going after these rivals. Uh, you know, they, they put VX into this dude's uh, air conditioning system. Oka uh, Okawa is hurt but survives the attack. More cult on cult wars. These fuckers were brazen, running a cult like a, it was a South American or Mexican drug cartel, going directly after anyone who opposes them, just straight up trying to murder them. The Institute for Research into Human Happiness, now known as Happy Society, uh, still alive in Japan and classified as a cult. They claim around 11 million members, more likely around 30,000. They're doing some Scientology inflation there. Uh, they believe their leader is a reincarnated God, recently got in trouble for selling spiritual vaccines that they said prevented COVID. Nope, just snake oil. Uh, one of their most outspoken critics is the son of their leader, who is like, my dad is not a God, he is a dickhead. Uh, back to Alms timeline. March 2nd, 1995, one AM member illegally purchases gas masks, military equipment from a U.S.-based military surplus company. These materials will be most likely uh, used in the upcoming March 20th attack. March 5th, 1995, passengers on a subway in Yokohama complain of headaches, sore throats from foul-smelling fumes. No one dies, but 11 people sent to the hospital. AM suspected of organizing the attack. This may have been a trial run for the big attack coming up around the corner. March 15th, 1995, three AM members placed three briefcases near ticket barriers in a Tokyo... Tokyo subway station. They plan to release a uh, botulinum to uh, toxin, but one member replaced the toxin with water, so the attack failed. This wasn't discovered until after leaders were arrested. Had Asahara known at the time, I'm sure that one member would have been killed. March 20th, 1995, the day of their most infamous attack. This would be the worst terrorist attack in Japan's modern history. A subway attack happened at 8 a.m. during the morning rush hour. In Tokyo, millions of commuters travel on the subways each and every day, the Tokyo metro area has over 37 million people living there today. Back in 1995, over 33 million, the most populous city in the world, known for having one of the busiest subway systems in the world, making it a perfect target for terrorist attacks. The morning of March 20th, 1995, five bags filled with liquid sarin put on different trains, five attacks on three train lines, all the trains headed to uh, Tsukiji Station in central Tokyo, at the same time, five AM members uh, dropped their bags of sarin after puncturing them with sharpened umbrella tips, right? They synchronized their watches or some shit. Same time, they uh, dropped their bags, puncture them with sharpened umbrella tips, again, James Bond villains, and then flee the train station. 
a getaway car awaiting for each man. The first alarms go off just two minutes later, 8.02 a.m. Subway officials stop all the lines, unfortunately trapping people inside while trying to figure out what the hell is going on, trapping people inside with the gas, making the effects of sarin worse for them. Some commuters, you know, they do open them a little while after that, a few seconds later, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't have the exact timeline on when they opened them, but it was uh, within a minute or two. Some commuters run out and they bring deadly gas with them now on their clothes and spread it to others. Paramedics who initially tried to help many of the injured, also injured by sarin, as soon as the bag started leaking, nearby passengers started feeling fumes stinging in their eyes. After a few seconds, subway passengers started choking and vomiting. Just a few seconds. Some are blinded. Others are paralyzed. I read about one poor woman. Somehow her fucking contacts were melted into her eyeballs. Uh, the fumes coming from the bags vaporized. As soon as they hit the air, the trains continued towards the heart of Tokyo, all full of sick passengers leaving stations. Gas soon leaks out of the train, spreads from people's clothes and shoes. As I said, most of the severely injured uh, or victims who died that day were those who came into contact with the gas trying to help others who were hurt. Two brave subway employees died when they tried to dispose of two of the bags. About 6,000 people were directly exposed to the gas because they couldn't get out of the subway fast enough that morning or encountered someone coming out of the subway. Luckily, the sarin that Om made, not actually pure sarin. Uh, thousands, probably tens of thousands would have died if it was. One witness account of this attack comes from Toshiaki Toyota, uh, a deputy station master working that day. At 8.12, he's told there was a suspicious object on a train that had arrived at the station. He got reports that people were seen dropping off packages on several trains, you know, 10 or so minutes earlier. One man reported seeing a leaking bag and gas uh, started stinging his eyes. Toyota and other subway drivers uh, were trying to figure out what exactly was going on while trying to remain calm and professional. Toyota saw a trail of spots that looked like oil on the ground. He and his coworkers attempted to clean these spots with newspapers. They took a bag of used newspapers to his office. Shortly after that, he sees one of his coworkers collapse. Uh, the co-worker rushed to the hospital while Toyota stays behind. Then he begins to feel the effects of the gas. He starts shivering while he tries to write a report of the incident. Then he soon is unable to write because he's shaking so violently. He takes his clothes off, washes his face, and then collapses. Wakes up later in the hospital. When asked about the two co-workers that helped clean up the sarin with him, uh, the nurse told him they were dead. Toyota knows that his decision to take off his clothes and wash his face saved his life. Uh, the first confirmation that the gas was sarin given by a doctor who made a public service announcement later that day. Uh, Hiroshi Morita, a resident of Matsumoto, worked the front lines of that June 1994 attack on those three judges. So he knew about sarin gas. When he heard what was happening, he called, faxed hospitals in Tokyo, uh, you know, just as soon as he saw it on the news, gave first responders instructions for how to treat sarin victims, and his actions likely saved hundreds of lives that day. Uh, the March 20th attack killed 13 people, left at least 5,500 injured, 17 taken to ICU, 37 classified as severely injured with muscular twitching, GI problems, etc. 984 slightly injured. Many others experienced effects later on after the attack. There were over 1,000 total in injuries reported. 4,460 people went to the hospital. Uh, yeah, 668 via ambulance. 4,000 went by foot or taxi. Uh, almost three decades later, victims continue to suffer from the effects of the attack with impaired speech, blurred vision, PTSD, you know, some people uh, blind from this attack. Some people still so sick, they're on permanent bed rest all these years later. Uh, the police finally made the connection between this incident and earlier AM attacks. And now a national search for AM members is underway. March 22nd, 1995, Tokyo police raid AM compounds. They raid the AM offices in Tokyo and the lab headquarters in uh, Kamakushi Shiki Village. Uh, Kami. Kui Shiki Village. They seized canisters of toxic chemicals used to make sarin. Uh, there were nationwide raids, thousands of checkpoints to try and catch Asahara. Om begins planning retaliation attacks now while their leadership is in hiding. 
few days after the attack, Asahara sends out a video message denying involvement in the incident. Also, because he's fucking insane, he talks about his cult's role in Armageddon. He said uh, on this video, we act on the basis of prophecies. In 1997 and 1998, most of Japan's large cities suffered major damage in a war between the U.S. and Japan. Then the Japanese economy will collapse. Japanese assets will be lost. Reviving the nation after this collapse is one goal of our salvation activities. Listen, everyone, we had nothing to do with that horrible subway attack, but you should get used to shit like that. Because Armageddon's at hand. (laughs) Wake up! I mean, really, you're wasting your time looking for us. Why arrest us? By the time we go to trial... The U.S. is going to be bombing the fuck out of Japan. The economy is going to collapse. God's wrath is going to be upon us. Also, t- check out this cool song I wrote called Sarin the Magician. It came from Nazi Germany, a dangerous little chemical weapon. Sarin, Sarin, if you inhale the mysterious vapor, you fall with blood coming from your mouth. Sarin, 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 chemical weapon. Uh, March 30th, 1995. Om tries to assassinate the head of the national police in another retaliation attack. They have straight up gone to war against the Japanese government. April 23rd, Hideo Murai, um, uh, Ministry of Science and Technology is arrested. He will never make it to trial because he will be murdered by a citizen who blamed him correctly for a role in the subway attack. Fuck yeah, hell Nimrod. Vengeance! Uh, May 5th, 1995, two transparent vinyl bags found in the men's room of the Shinjuku uh, subway station. One bag contained sulfuric acid, the other sodium cyanide. Together, that would produce hydrogen cyanide. Another attempted large-scale attack. Four people injured by the chemicals, but the attack fails. The bomb had enough gas if it had worked properly to kill up to 20,000 people. Because of all these attacks, uh, Japan now to this day still has very few public trash bins. Trash bins. Seriously, if you've been over there, you've been wandering around looking aimlessly for a garbage can to throw something away, well, you can blame Am Shinrikyo for not being able to find it. On May 11th, 1995, police officers surround another Am compound to search for Asahara. They find a hidden basement where other cult members are hiding. They arrest Masami to, uh, ooh, don't know how to say it. Not even going to try. Uh, T-S-U-C-H-I-Y-A. The chemist who admitted to making the sarin gas. On May 15th, 1995, several people in the Yokohama subway affected by fumes, 10 to 20 injuries, three people hospitalized, another retaliation attack. May 16th, 1995, Asahara finally arrested. He was hiding in a little secret room in the Mount Fuji compound. He was hidden basically inside the wall. Dude was already living like a prisoner before he was arrested. Japanese Jesus, hide in the wall while police look to arrest him for plotting multiple murders. Why didn't he time travel? If there was ever a good time to time travel, it's when the police are trying to find you. How did his followers not think of that? After Asahara uh, and now nearly 200 cult members have been arrested, the rest of the cult dissipates, goes into hiding. The government seizes cult property. Most of the Japanese members will remain in hiding for years. With no leadership, a lot of foreign members, they'll move on with their lives. Asahara, Mr. Armageddon himself, guru, candle, dime bag. Now denies that Am is involved in the gas attacks, but several followers admit that Am was responsible for the gas attacks, implicating him in several major crimes. Uh, they tell police that Am had also committed several murders, other, you know, uh, numerous attacks. So he's fucked. Uh, when Asahara is first arrest- arrested, he says that he couldn't have committed any of these attacks. He's helpless. He's, he's blind. And he refuses to admit that, his, that he even told his followers to do it. He's not so committed to his hardcore Armageddon beliefs anymore. He's willing to uh, throw anyone under the bus to try and get free. On the day Asahara is arrested, the Tokyo governor is the recipient of a mail bomb. Not harmed, but his poor secretary loses three of her fingers when the bomb detonates after she opens the package. They're still fucking attacking the government. Asahara's daughter, 16-year-old Reika, now becomes a new leader, uh, or the new leader after her dad's arrest, continues the terrorism. She's believed to be responsible for that mail bomb and for organizing hydrogen cyanide bombs to be planted in Tokyo subways. Uh, members justify their murderous actions by claiming that Asahara told them that they were being persecuted by the state and had to defend themselves. 
In June of 1995, the Japanese Public Television Network puts out a story claiming they have parts of a confession from chief physician Okui uh, Hayishi admitting the cult is planning to mail was ma- planning to mail packages of sarin to the U.S. And Hayishi was to travel to the U.S. to receive the packages, deliver them. Police find out that the group wanted to attack New York in a similar way that they'd attacked Tokyo with another subway attack. July 4th, 1995, two transparent bags, more bags, a timer, a reaction device found in the women's restroom of another Tokyo subway station. One bag contains sulfuric acid, the other sodium cyanide, right? They're trying to make hydrogen cyanide again. And this attempt also fails because the chemicals never properly mixed. They're fucking relentless. Next day, July 5th, three men become ill from fumes in the restroom of a Tokyo subway. I'm um, again suspected. Same day, another cyanide producing device found in a, another bathroom of a Tokyo railway station. One person injured there. July 18th, 1995, cult member Masami, uh, don't know how to say, T-S-U-C-H-I-Y-A, confesses to helping produce hundreds of kilograms of mustard gas, sarin, several other chemical weapon compounds at the cult's compound in Kamikuyishiki. Asahara's sensational trial begins April 26, 1996. Most of the other trials will not begin until the early 2000s. Asahara's trial will last eight long years. An exhausting legal battle where the prosecution has a has a mountain of evidence to present and the defense tries to fight Japan's seldom used death penalty. On September 30th, 1999, four years after their leader's arrest, all members in hiding threatened to now launch an attack on the uh, Takahara Jima nuclear reprocessing plant. They send their threat to a magazine, but the attack never happens. January 18th, 2000, the remnants of Om rename themselves. They are reborn as Aleph and publicly announce that they are going back to their roots as a spiritual group and they renounce all violence. The new group is led by former public relations minister uh, Fumihiro Joyu, who had been released from prison in December of 1999. He'd only been charged with perjury. Some members of Aleph admitted that Asahara was the leader of the attacks and wanted to distance themselves from him now. They even set up a compensation program for victims. Aleph still around and currently thought to have around 1,500 followers. Crazy that they want to keep it going. When the one man who built up literally all of their core ideology, their God on earth, proved himself to be a murderous fraud and lunatic. But they still want to keep it going. Because it just made them sad to bring it all to an end. Crazy how tenaciously some will cling to their fucking misguided beliefs. Doesn't matter if you cut the head off of some snakes, the body will just continue to fucking slither around, crawl in the face of any and all logic and decency. Uh, Aleph gains new members, engages in commercial enterprises, buys property, uh, now under heavy surveillance in Japan and internationally. Yeah, you bet your ass it is. Uh, the government obviously, you know, doesn't trust Aleph. And uh, they, they put him under a three-year surveillance period that they will just keep extending and extending to this day. Uh, on March 29th, 2000, the Japanese police report that all members in hiding have gathered information about nuclear facilities in Russia, Japan, the Ukraine, other cr- countries. Um, had cyber attacked computer security systems in other countries. What the fuck? There, there are a few remaining members. Who knows how many are out there hiding, still trying to uh, build a nuke and bring about Armageddon. Japanese police managed to confiscate their information before they can act. July of 2000, the Russian police arrest Russian ARM members who plan to detonate bombs in Japan as part of a plan to free Asahara. February 27, 2004, Asahara's trial finally ends. He's found guilty of orchestrating numerous attacks resulting in numerous fatalities and a sentence to death. Over the years, 189 ARM members go to trial and almost all of them all of them will be found guilty on september 15th 2006 asahara's final appeal is rejected his defense argued that he was mentally ill and asked for the case to be suspended during the hearing asahara mumbled incoherently and made unexplained gestures unexplained gestures i think he's faking it his death sentence is upheld 
Japan's still very divided when it comes to the question of whether or not Asahara is legally insane. Many think he was faking, like I do. Others think he was faking at first, but then eventually did have a real mental breakdown. And if he did, who who gives a shit? Fuck him. I think if someone is this uh, dangerous, insane or not, isn't it best for the world at large just to put him down? What would be the point of saving this miserable piece of shit? Err on the side of caution. Don't let his followers hold on to any hope that their precious leader will someday get out. Don't give him any incentive to keep trying to bust him out of prison or out of some asylum with more terrorist attacks. In March of 2007, Aleph splits into two divisions. Former Om leader Fumihiro Joyu leaves to create another NRM, Hikari Noah. He emphasizes a separation from Om, uh, but keeps believing a lot of the same old bullshit, invites people to come visit his new stupid cult. Remaining Aleph members like Asahara's wife and a few of his kids, uh, they continue to worship Asahara. 2008, Asahara cuts off all contact with everyone, including his family. He now refuses to eat unless he's spoon-fed, starts wearing adult diapers because he now refuses to use the bathroom or bathe himself. Super fun for staff who have to sometimes clean this piece of shit who is now literally covered in shit and piss. He goes completely silent as well, refuses to talk, and he will live like that for the next 10 years. Just a no-talking, diaper-wearing fucking maniac. So gross. Uh, you know, would be so sad if I was able to feel sorry for him. November 21st, 2011, after 16 years of other prosecutions and appeals, a total of 13 death sentences are now finalized. At this time, only three remaining former high-ranking AW members are still on the run. Then in late 2011, Hirata Makoto, or, uh, yeah, one of three of uh, those men is arrested. The next year on June 15th, 2012, Kats- uh, Katsuya Takasha Takahashi is arrested, tried uh, after being on the run for 17 years. He was the most wanted of the three because he was Ashihara's bodyguard, one of the getaway drivers on March 20th. Received a life sentence for his crimes. Also in June, uh, the last member, uh, Kikuchi Nakoa, is arrested. Their trials could finally finish up and bring peace to victims and their families. In August 2012, Japan Airlines flight to the U.S. had to turn back after receiving a bomb threat from Aleph members. I thought they were nonviolent. Demanding Asahara's release. March 2016, authorities in Montenegro expel 58 foreigners for suspected association with Om. Crazy, just five years ago. They were all gathered at a hotel they'd rented. Four were Japanese, but the other 43 were from Eastern European nations. April of 2016, Russian authorities raid 25 Om properties, make arrests there. July 6, 2018, seven of Om's top leaders are executed, including shitty diaper-wearing Shoko Asahara. Oh, fucking guru numbnuts. He's 63 when he dies. The executions take place at a Tokyo detention house. Early that morning, all the prisoners hanged their bodies quickly cremated later the same day. The executions postponed for so long because the court wanted to wait for all convicted OM members to finish their appeals. Those appeals finally ended in January of 2018. Six members ended up sentenced to life in prison, 13 sentenced to execution. Japan has executed roughly eight people per year since an execution moratorium ended in 2010. So this was a, this was a heavy year for them. Officials do not give advance notice of execution, so prisoners only learn a few hours before they're about to die. That's crazy. Man, not knowing when you're going to be executed. What a mentally torturous way to live on death row. Uh, Japan hangs all their death row inmates and doesn't notify the public that they've been hanged until afterwards. Asahara's daughter, uh, Reika, had had campaigned for her father's retrial for years. She argued he never got a fair trial because he was mentally ill. She tried to visit him in prison right up until shortly before he died, but he never spoke to her, refused to see her. Man, I feel sorry for her. Raised by a father who brought her nothing but insanity and misery. Uh, the six remaining Am Shinriko members sentenced to die are executed and cremated on July 26, 2018. Uh, April 10th, 2019, Tokyo District Court orders Aleph to pay one, just over 1 billion yen 
to victims of the 1995 attack. A victims group filed for damages after left failed to pay in 2009. After years of stalling, a decade of stalling, the court ordered the full amount to be paid immediately. Not sure if that happened. Not sure if they got their money or not. And that will complete, conclude our wild timeline today. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. What a tale, right? I hope my uh, uh, mushmouth uh, pronunciations, mispronunciations were not distractions for that story because it's such a wild story. Uh, I have a few more thoughts on it, uh, but first one, uh, one more quick sponsor break. The Circle of Divine Wizards, School for the Mostly or at Least Kind of Blind and Judo Institute. Today's episode is brought to you by the Circle of Divine Wizards, School for the Mostly or at Least Kind of Blind and Judo Institute. Is your child mostly or at least kind of blind? but they do still see a lot better than some kid who is, say, totally blind. Do they like to fight? Do they struggle with empathy and anger and are looking for a way to improve their self-esteem, potentially at the cost of another's safety or well-being? If so, your child may benefit greatly from enrollment into the Circle of Divine Wizards School for the Mostly Blind and Judo Institute. Our locations are secret. Our instructors stealthy. We've infiltrated the staff at various schools for the blind, and now our covert employees can get you mostly, or at least kind of blind child enrolled in the same schools as totally blind kids. Once inside, after initial one-on-one judo training, when no one but our trained staff is nearby, your child will be able to practice judo on live targets. Our staff will do fun things like yell fire to get the blind kids really moving about to stimulate and simulate some uh, real-world brawl, for example, but with less risk of self-esteem crushing ass whooping since, you know, These kids are totally blind. Your child will be able to practice any number of judo moves on these helpless children and feel the rush of endorphins and self-worth that comes from kicking so much ass, all with no risk of litigation since these targets literally can't witness any of these attacks. By the time your mostly or at least kind of blind child graduates, they'll be able to see at least one thing very clearly, themselves throwing life's obstacles around like scared blind children on a playground. Call 1-800-GO-AHEAD-AND-TOSS-THEM-AROUND. That's 1-800-GO-AHEAD-AND-TOSS-THEM-AROUND. To sign up your child at the Circle of Divine Wizards, School for the Mostly or at Least Kind of Blind, and Judo Institute today. Very interesting sponsor. Uh, Asahara studying judo and beating kids' asses at that school for the blind is really going to stick with me for a while. And that was like, like the least crazy part of today's ep- episode. Man, the world has no shortage of wild-ass stories. Such a different type of cult. These assholes not content to just hang out on the compound, wait for the end times. Their leader, Shoko Asahara, not comfortable with just fucking a bunch of followers, being super duper rich, being worshipped by tens of thousands of people as a god on earth, Shiva's right-hand man, Japanese Jesus. Not enough for guru oil lantern CBD cream. Poor bully from the blind school always wanted more and more and more. Right? Vaulting ambition, like the protagonist of a Shakespearean tragedy, but without any likable qualities. No amount of power is ever enough. No amount of vengeance ever enough. The more targets who died, the more he wanted to kill. Dude literally wanted to burn down the world, rule what remained in the ashes. So shocking to me how many terroristic, uh, terrorist acts they pulled off, how they made their own powerful chemical weapons. They remind me more of ISIS or Al-Qaeda than they do most of the other cults we've covered. Asahara, you know, convinced his followers that the world was about to enter World War III and AM members, only them could survive it and they needed to kick it off. He convinced them it would be better for everyone if they just killed off the majority of the world. You know, he just pushed a bunch of folks along towards Nirvana. His followers kidnapped, injured, murdered whoever he told them to, eventually using chemical and biological warfare to kill anyone 
you know, uh, who might come into contact with it. On March 20th, 1995, on planet gas in the Tokyo subway, killing 13 people, injuring thousands. The worst terroristic or terrorist attack on Japan since uh, the bombings of World War II. Or excuse me, the worst, just the worst attack of any kind on Japan since the bombings of World War II. And then in the months after uh, March 1995, the group made several failed attempts to release hydrogen cyanide, other deadly chemicals, and other train set, uh, stations in retaliation attacks, trying to get their leaders freed. Hundreds of members went to trial for their attacks. 13, including Asahara, executed. After the uh, big subway attack, the group goes underground. They're not arrested. Uh, you know, those not arrested eventually split into two branches, the left and Hik- Hikari Noa, both still around. The U.S. other countries have labeled on a terrorist organization, still members hiding around the world. A left in Hikari Noa, uh, legal in Japan, but labeled dangerous religions and under constant surveillance. Um, Shinriko remains one of the strangest stories in modern Japanese history. It shows how even educated, successful people can fall victim to a cult's influence. So be careful. None of us are too smart to uh, not get swindled by these smooth-talking motherfuckers who prey on us in our most desperate moments, right? When you're grieving, when you're down in your luck, you're disillusioned, maybe you're depressed, you're going through a divorce, spiritual crisis, uh, you know, crisis of what am I supposed to do with my life? What kind of job am I supposed to get? When the world just doesn't make sense anymore, et cetera, et cetera, that's when they get you. That's when you got to keep your guard up. When you're doing a lot of searching, you know, feeling unfulfilled, volunteer to charity, take up a new hobby. Spend more time with your kids. Try and learn the guitar, a new language. Set some fitness goals. Try and write that book. Learn to fly fish. Take up skate shooting or jujitsu. Something, anything to provide you with self-esteem and give your life meaning. Do anything other than go to meetings with some new spiritual group that claims to have answers no one can have. Right? Some group that wants you to cut off ties with your friends and family. If you need a cult, just stay in this one. Cult the curious. Right? We, we meet once a week at your convenience. Twice for inner circle members. And I'm never going to try and fuck you or, or claim to have all the answers in life. You know, you can hang out with anybody you want to. Even people who are toxic and annoying, like that one cousin you're unfortunately related to. If that's what you want, we're not going to try and stop you. Take care of yourself, meat sack. Enjoy as much of this weird-ass rock of, uh, of ours that you can before the sun finally sets. What's the alternative? Being abused by weirdos? One of these cults we've talked about? Nah, fuck that. If God is real, and I hope God is, I doubt God's a big fucking asshole that would sign off on any of this wackadoodle horseshit. I'm guessing he would pick better profits than Shoko Asahara. Time for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Shoko Asahara was born Chisou Matsumoto in the small village of Yatsuhiro. He had infantile glaucoma, making him fully blind in one eye, partially blind in his other. And that disability did not hold him back. Is his story weirdly inspiring in some way? Don't let your disability keep you from running a powerful doomsday cult. Number two, Am Shinrikyo, the Supreme Truth, once known as the Circle of Divine Wizards. God, that's the best cult name ever. Number three, at his peak, Am had over a billion dollars in assets. Asahara forced his followers to sign over all their money and inheritances, even uh, property to him. Also made money through various businesses, selling his blood, dirty bath water, fucking LSD, some crazy salvation headset claimed to synchronize a person's brainwaves to his. Used all this money to buy guns, manufacture guns, make chemical weapons create elaborate facilities for poison gas and terrorist attacks. Why couldn't he uh, just, uh, you know, build some sweet compound, some big old giant sex dungeon and he fucked his followers like a normal cult leader? Uh, number four, after he lost those parliament elections in February 1990, Asahara shifted his cult theology to a more doomsday-focused one. He encouraged his followers to launch chemical attacks on the citizens of Japan as a way to bring about their salvation. And towards that end, he planned the March 20th, 1995 Tokyo subway attack, Japan's largest domestic terrorist event. 
Um, was then declared a terrorist organization by several countries. Members had access to biological and chemical weapons, and they were willing to kill if ordered to. Number five, new info. Uh, Shizue Takahashi is the widow of sarin victim Kazumasa Takahashi, one of the subway employees who died trying to clean up the sarin. She fought for a victim's conversation to order to honor the memory of her husband, still tries to preserve the memory of all those who died. She recently gave an interview and said, legislation was eventually brought in and the victims were compensated. When that happened, I was relieved and I immediately felt like telling my husband the good news and then I started crying. For all those years, I had been able to face, I had been unable to face my husband's death. Experts believe that if her husband hadn't made the efforts to remove the sarin, hundreds more could have died that day. Because of his bravery, he was exposed to too much sarin for his body to survive. Another hero in today's story. At least it wasn't all villains and victims. Hail Kazumasa Takahashi. That's all for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. The Om Shinrikyo cult has been sucked. Thank you to the Bad Magic Productions team for all their help in making Time Suck every week. Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley. Thanks to Sophie Evans for initial research this week. Thanks to Bit Elixir. Uh, or actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was Olivia Lee. Olivia Lee. Uh, Got to give credit where credit's due. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, thanks to Bit Elixir for keeping the Time Suck app running smooth. And Logan, the art warlock, Keith, our creative director, creating all the merch at badmagicmerch.com and more. Thanks also to Liz, the Enchantress Hernandez, running our Cult of the Curious Facebook private page, currently Cult of the Curious 2, along with her wonderful, wonderful all-seeing eyes moderators. Also helps Logan with our socials. Thanks to Beefsteak and his mod squad, keeping over 10,000 meat sacks happy over on Discord. Uh, next week, it is a weird mix of true crime, Wild West, and cannibalism. We, <laughs> it's an interesting mix. We suck the Kentucky cannibal, Levi Boonhelm, an American mountain man, Old West gunfighter, and serial killer who gained his nickname for his opportunistic and unrepentant uh, proclivity for consuming human flesh. Usually in survival situations, although instances of killing people for their meat unprovoked were documented. Born in Kentucky, he made his way west in the early 20s. After his wife divorced him and he murdered his cousin for refusing to go with him, sounds like a bit of a hothead. Boone committed crime uh, after crime for the remainder of his life. Robberies, murders, horse thievery, cannibalism, all because, well, he, he seemed to enjoy it. He wanted to. And sometimes because he was paid to by other outlaws. Uh, Boone would eventually reach the Montana Territory, where he would join up with a gang of men who called themselves the Innocents. They were not. They were road agents who harassed, robbed, and murdered miners and merchants in the populous mining towns of Bannock and Virginia City. The innocents were led by the town sheriff, Henry Plummer. Boone fit in well with these criminals. We're all just like him, excluding the uh, cannibalism part. Spent his final years terrorizing innocent people, causing as much chaos as possible. I know so little about him right now. I'll know so much more next week. We'll cover it all right now. Let's head over to this week's Time Sucker Updates. 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 Start with a funny new update on an old suck. From funny sucker, April Favinger. Uh, I currently have my 10-year-old Googling Roanoke spiders. April writes, he's telling his little friends on Discord all about them, and they are freaking the fuck out. Hilarious. Mother of the year. <laughs> Thought you guys would enjoy this. Love your work. Yeah, I love that you're, uh, yeah, you're telling your kid that Roanoke recluse spiders are real. They're fucking opening people's eyelids, crawling inside, attacking their brains. Yeah, that's going to get spread around by a kid who believes it. Uh, now, we haven't done many shout-out requests lately, so let's change that. With this message from Thoughtful Sack, Jamie Hoffman, who writes, Hi, Dan. I was hoping you might do a birthday shout-out for my husband, Timon, for his 39th birthday, coming up on November 19th. 
Thanks to him, you have a few more suckers in this world. For his birthday this year, we're turning his dream of becoming a space sitter into a reality. After 17 years of my life, he's the only person I ever want to suck with. Thank you, Jamie Hoffman. Well, happy birthday, young Timon. Welcome to the Space Lizards. Don't let the world tell you you're old, by the way. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And your light, it's not even dying. You're like, I think 39 is like the new 16 or something. Uh, another shout out now. Let's hear sweet sucker Tara Wolf's request. Hi, Dan. I'm a huge fan of your time suck and scared to death podcast entirely due to my husband. His name is Scott Laub and he found you a while back. He literally started with your first suck. Oh my God. And has listened to all your casts, caught all the way up and has put you on our bucket list to see live someday. Well, I cannot wait to disappoint him. No, uh, Scott hasn't been uh, <laughs> having the best time lately. He served for 10 years and did three tours. Wow. Two to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. He was an army scout in the 101st. Holy shit. Currently, he drives truck for Lumberyard. I can't even begin to express how much you have helped him get through his days. I know it's been a tough one the last couple of years for everyone. So honestly, I don't even feel right mentioning anyone having a hard time right now. You are too sweet, Tara. Uh, but the death of his best friend has been weighing heavily on him lately. They called his best friend Z. Scott lost him brutally when they were together in action. Holy shit. I was just hoping that you might do a call out for Scott. He's such a strong human being. I'm so proud of him. Uh, he works so hard for our little family and life and doesn't think very much of himself, even though I thank the universe every day for him. I know he struggles with the fact that he got to come home when so many of his friends didn't. I just wish I could show him how important he is and how he deserves to be here too. Thank you, Tara Wolf. Well, what a nice request, Tara. Scott, well, first off, you're a fucking hero in my book. Uh, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but thank you so much for your service. I mean, three tours, what you saw, holy shit. I appreciate your sacrifice. I appreciate being able to be a jackass and having the freedom to do the dumb shit that I do, like this ridiculous podcast, and understand that freedom is not free. Uh, you sound like a very strong dude. Good on you for doing what you need to do to take care of your family. Also, you know, talk to someone if you need to talk to someone. You've been through a lot. Uh, no weakness in that. You're dealing with something really fucking heavy. Just because you came home doesn't mean you're not dealing with a lot of shit. And I say that as somebody who obviously never served. But, uh, you know, just from the outside looking in, looks like a lot to me. So hail Nimrod to you. And, uh, man, I, I hope I see you to show one day and I hope you laugh your fucking nuts off. Uh, one more shout out request now from sweet sucker, Justin Tate, who writes, dear Suckmaster and bad magic family. I know lightning really strikes twice in the same place. Seeing how you just played my Oregon trail message on the secret suck, but I know if anyone can make this happen, it's you guys. So apologies in advance for the long email. Uh, I'm writing this now on November 1st in hopes that you will read this on next Monday's episode. Done. You see, November 8th is my one-year anniversary with the love of my life. We have crossed each other's paths throughout our entire lives, dated, had a child at 18, split up, both married other people, didn't work out, lost our daughter when she was 16, four years ago. Oh, so sorry. Last year, when both of our lives were at their lowest, Nimrod saw fit to let our paths cross again and merge into one. Her love of things dark and twisted, all things dark and twisted, have brought so much light into my life. I love how that works. I don't know where I'd be without her and sharing time sucking scared to death and is we done with her have been a lot of fun this past year. So oh, exalted cult leader, if I could ask uh, you to please give a happy anniversary shout out to my beautiful goth girl, Wednesday Guerra. She is my Lucifina now and forever. Also, if you do read this on the show, please do the shout out as Albert Fish. It's her favorite episode. And anytime we hear about anything uh, about fish, she immediately says showbiz. Again, thank you, Dan, Joe, Lindsay, Zach, and everyone else that makes uh, my and so many others weeks suck a little less. Well, happy anniversary, Wednesday, you sexy little bear cat. Sounds like Justin wants to lap up your peanut butter, drink your hot apple cider, motorboat those sweater torpedoes, slap his fat bare bottom until it bleeds, Lucifina. Well, you know it's the best when the poop hits his chest. That's how Justin comes. Hail Nimrod, happy anniversary, you fucking weirdos. I love that you're back together. Sorry you've been through so much. 
Continue to console and love one another and enjoy the life you got. It is Nimrod's will. And that's all for today's updates. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks again for listening to this bad magic, bad magic. Jesus Christ. My mouth is done. My, my mouth is like, no, we're done. We had to pronounce so many Japanese words today and we're, we quit. We're going on strike. Uh, thanks again for listening to this bad magic productions podcast, Meat Sacks. Uh, maybe do not try to start World War III this week. It seems like a lot of work. Probably easier just to sit back and keep on sucking. <laughs> Bad Magic Productions. Hey, bud. Mm. Um, just stop. Stop this. Mm. Start talking again. Mm. All of our lives depend on you talking. Mm. You smell like shit and piss. Mm-hmm. Are those hard words to pronounce? Mm. Are, you, are you hungry? Mm. Oh, get a spoon. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted where I felt adventure's pulse with every step, and where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.